Well, hello and welcome to episode number 386 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and in this week's show we look at the world's greatest low-cost carriers. One airline makes their A320s idle and Ryanair pop a cork. In the military this week, a Boeing 757 will be the test bed for the new Tempest fighter. The Luftwaffe unveils its new A321neo transport and a US Navy training jet crashes near Dallas, Texas and a B2 bomber runs off the runway in Missouri. So, joining me this week here, I'm back. <laughs> I'm back in the studio. Yay! He's burping away. Honestly. Sorry, the beer repeated on me again. <laughs> well, there's 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 a, there's an intro still playing. This for one. Um, Sorry about that. It's, it's, it's all going very smoothly. The, back, the background music is still still firing yeah, no, away. It's all right. oh, it's it all normally right. is. Oh, is it? I don't know. Yeah. I could normally never hear it. Honestly. No. Anyway, this, oh, I'll tell you what. It's like you've never loads, done the show before. There's loads of room in here. Going on right now. It's like we just tra- teleported back to episode 200. <laughs> There's there's so much room in here, it's not even funny. And there's also well, a bag on the door. Sorry, I'm not right, right. myself on the bag on the door. It's <laughs> horribly wrong. Who put a bag on the door? Okay, I don't know. Anyway, just say hello to everyone. Will you? Hello, everyone. <laughs> and uh, obviously Matt's here. You you can yes. hear him there, giggling yep. in the background. Yep. And uh, yes, it's nice to be nice to be in the refurbished studio. I will say it's nice to see everything still in one piece. Yes. Since yes, I left indeed. it. Yep. And uh, yes, so uh, joining us this week, uh, another chap who done an awesome job last week, along with you, Matt, while I wasn't here. Uh-huh. And uh, that is, of course, Neville Bounds. Kind of you to say. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, nice to be back this week. Um, lots on the show this week. Lots we of have. interviews and stuff. Um, but yeah, another hectic week uh, for me. Bit of flying mm. to uh, Dublin oh, and back. Hello. And how was that? Have you got that gold right. points Actually, or something? You've been... came back came back on an Aer Lingus <laughs> A330. Oh, okay. Uh, which oh. was very full as well. So I think what they're doing is probably trying to keep the the crew current on that. Series oh, I of see. Right. Yeah. They yeah. Start doing US before the Barbados yeah. and this sort of business. Was it uh, full nev or uh, just about? Yeah, but mm. because it takes nearly an hour to board it. That's the thing. Oh, uh, right. They oh, start quite early. What's, uh, uh, what, nice. what's, what's Aer Lingus like to fly, Nev? It's all right. Uh, last time I flew them was 1986, hmm. uh, which was a 747, sorry, sorry, 737-400 uh, oh, from uh, Shannon, I think it was, hmm. uh, back to the UK. Um, but uh, no, it's all right. Yeah. Excellent. Couldn't get my usual seat, obviously. So. Excellent. No, it's good to, good to see you, Nev. Nice oh, to see you back. I will say again, uh, well done on the show again uh, last week, guys. I did listen to the show in its entirety this week whilst I was busy driving the mean streets of uh, Suffolk and Norfolk. And, uh, mm. yeah, it was very enjoyable listen, I will say. you done very oh, well. Thank you. You've done very well. So joining us this week, he's uh, obviously back from Reno. He's got his goodie bags and free pens <laughs> and free fridge magnets. That's the only reason he went, obviously. All, all the freebies I'm hoping that he got from the Reno Air Races. It is, of course, Armando. Hey, guys. It is great to be back in person. Nev, I got to admit, I really enjoyed all the segments you've been doing. Really well done, sir. Uh, yeah, kept me busy on all the flying that I've been doing. Oh, thank you. 
So did did you get any free pens then um, from the Reno Air <laughs> Show? Because I mean, you know, you go to these shows and like trade fairs and big things like this, oh, and you yeah. normally end up getting free pens, t-shirts, and oh, you don't, don't get well, e- every year you restock your wardrobe, you get rid of all the old shirts, and then you turn them into car washing rags and things <laughs> like that, and then you restock right. with the new ones. So this is a Sport Seven Four Four, the slowest RV eight in the field. Uh, okay. He's consistently lasts, and he's very proud of it. But it's he calls his airplane the Millennium Falcon. It's a nice, comfy shirt. Uh, <laughs> shout out! Shout out to Tommy Ishii, number uh, Sport Seven Four Four in Reno Air Races. He's such a good sport for being last always. Oh, bless! But hey, you know what? He's a Reno Air Race pilot. And you know what? We're not. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, we're, yeah. We're, not, we're not at Reno for no, one. No, like I can say there is that small oh. detail, I suppose. Yeah. Honestly, absolutely. I don't know what it's like where you, uh, where you are, uh, Armando and, and Nev, because obviously you're on the other side of the UK. But me and Matt have experienced a fair amount of rain today, haven't we? It's been a bit moist. It's been, I'll be honest. Been, yeah, yeah. It's been a bit yeah. moist. Yeah. It's, it's been very river filling up-y yeah, today. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a it's been a fun old day. It's been a fun old day. So it is the beginning of the month. Oh, is it? And oh, uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's time to uh, it's time to hand things over to Nev to do a certain few thank yous to uh, to some very 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 special people who uh, generously donate to the show. So Nev, over to you. Yeah, thanks, Carlos. Well, of course, it's the as you say, the first of the month, which means it's our favourite time of the month to do some housekeeping, where we say thank you very much to our Patreon and PayPal donators. And this month, uh, the Patreon donators are Sasha Beer, Stephen Ivy, Nicholas Codling, Warren Dixon, Louise Kasharis, uh, Andrew Van der Sarg, Alan White, Stephen Howland, Tanya Wyman, Megan Carrion. Jacob Darlington-Brown, Nicholas Hewitt, Masher, Owen, Reuben Wells, Neil Lanwarn, Graham Haley, Jonathan Warner, Eric Graves, Matt Caton, Jordan Rose, Andrew Wilson, Captain Jeff, Adam Spink, Liz Piper, Jeff Ward, Myler, uh, Evan Shue, Philip Labe, Stuart Backer, Ray Williams and Stephanie Plummer. And those folks that have kindly donated by PayPal are Jennifer Parkinson, Craig Yuzuku, uh, Mazuz Kareem, Tony Stubbings and Lee Davis. Thank you very much to you one and all. Uh, your contributions this month have been very important indeed. And <laughs> yeah. you'll be able to find out why that is a bit later on, I expect. Yes, yes, it's been been very important to uh, to help with a few things in the studio, hasn't it, Matt? Well, I think I mean it's it's been a work in progress for a while, mm. isn't it? So it's uh, it's been nice to sort of um, get the worktop back in here, the proper one that we had rather than the table, and um, yeah, and I'm very looking, I'm very much looking forward to the the blind. This is all going. Yes, we've got this is all going. Yes, absolutely. we uh, we actually ordered this week a a new blind to go next to where Matt's sitting there, yeah. and it's a, a well, it should be a chroma green kind of yes absolutely. to go with the green screen yeah. behind us here. Um, so and then there'll be a, another one going over the door at some point. But yes. we'll, that, but, maybe next month. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so a big thanks to everyone again, as Nev mm. said, for your very kind donations this month. And don't forget, if you want to become a Patreon of the show and uh, get a shout out each month, you can do via our website. The links are all on there. So, 
Well, um, just going to say a big thanks as well and hello to everyone who's joined us in the live chat room this evening. And uh, actually going to say a very big welcome to someone who's turned up in the chat room this evening. Great to see him back. And he's released uh, a brand new episode, uh, episode of his podcast this week, uh, him and Alex. So hello to Paul Papadimitriou on the oh, chat wow. room. Uh, had had a chat with Paul actually earlier this week, and uh, he's uh, he's in the busy in the midst of a busy house move. Through. He's very oh, very blimey. busy indeed. Uh, but uh, yeah, if you check out Paul and Alex over at the Layovers podcast, they have released a brand new episode, and uh, I listened to that this week. Very enjoyable indeed. So hello to Lee Davies, who's in the chat room. We've got uh, Neville Barnes, obviously wielding the blue spanner of doom. Of course, uh, Captain Cruz, GB's model zone. Uh, we have got the scrolling down. Oh, Armando's in there as well, also wielding a blue spanner of doom. Uh, uh, Alex Robinson, hello to you, Alex. Mazus Kareem, hello to you, Mazus. Hope you're well. Uh, Cream Tea, interesting name there, joining us this week. Uh, Richard Adams, hello to you. Cream Tea, I just fancy a cream tea right now. Do with, you? With right? a scone with Jan. Uh, Nick Codling, hello to you. <laughs> Matt C, uh, hello to you, Matt C. Uh, I think well, one of us, Matt Caton. That might be Matt Caton. I don't know. Uh, Captain Nick's also in there as well. Oh, uh, so hello to you, Captain Nick. Tanya, hello to you, Tanya. And uh, yeah, Captain Nick is obviously uh, just checking up on things. He's also wielding a blue spanner of doom as well. Is he? Mm. We're obviously a bit too like you know liberal. Liberal with, this with our blue, blue spanners spanner, of doom, just giving them away. So don't forget yeah. if you are tuning into us via the audio podcast and you want to uh, find out what all the craziness is about on the YouTube feed, uh, don't forget to take yourselves over to YouTube, search for Plain Talking UK, and click on that subscribe button and also the bell icon and make sure you click that, which is right next door, to be pinged on your phone or your tablet when we are live and recording new episodes because we would love to have you in the chat room mm. so there we go well we've got loads to get through loads of commercial news uh, so if all the team is it's lovely to have all the team back it if is. all the team is ready let's go we are Starting off with the commercial news uh, on onemileatatime.com and aerotime.aero, it says that British Airways 777 pilots are wanted in Doha. Uh, British Airways and Qatar Airways are working together on a unique opportunity for pilots this winter. Up to 40 British Airways Boeing 777 pilots could be headed to Doha to fly Qatar Airways Boeing 777s. Uh, British Airways pilots have reported really, uh, reportedly received a memo with a secondment offer. Several aviation media outlets have reported. Up to 40 pilots are wanted uh, for this opportunity, split evenly between captains and first officers. Uh, this opportunity is limited to six months and an extension beyond that would be based on the mutual agreement of all parties. Training would commence in October and November and pilots would start flying with Qatar Airways shortly after that. Pilots who take advantage of this would, would be based in Doha for the duration of the agreement and would remain employed and paid by British Airways, although they, they'd be paid based on the amount of flying they do. Uh, discussions between the two airlines are reported still to be at an early stage, and BA warns that there are significant complexities involved that could prevent the secondments from going ahead. Uh, Qatar Airways has 83 Boeing 777s in its fleet, including 26 freighters, and BA has 59, 11 of which are currently parked. 
British Airways and Qatar Airways are related through BA's parent international airlines group, IAG, and the Gulf-based uh, air carrier is the single largest shareholder of IAG since 2016 and owns 25.1% of IAG since February 2020. This wouldn't be the first time the two airlines have worked together in this way. Back in 2017, when BA was having labour issues, Qatar Airways based eight A320s in London so they could be wet leased to British Airways. So if you fly on a Qatar Airways uh, Boeing 777 this winter, you might hear the captain announce, welcome aboard British, I mean, Qatar Airways. <laughs> now, I wonder if the negotiations are to do with tax-free pay, perhaps, and, <laughs> and things like that. That might be something to do with it, mightn't it? So uh, It just seems, uh, I mean, I presume, I mean, they're obviously all owned by, AI, you know, AIG, IAG, aren't they? I presume that's yes, what but they're... I'm sure that there is, you know, local... Uh, government and local employment laws and all the rest of it in in place there. So mm. interesting to see, but uh, no, it'll, we'll keep an eye on this story because I think it could be could be quite interesting. I think so. Yeah, it's, it's uh, is it is it. Um... I mean, I mean, this is different to a co-chair, isn't it? Sorry, you'll have to excuse my naivety yeah, well, actually, here. What's happened is... here, here is that what they've got, and in fact, this is different to how it was when the um, Qatar Airways was running the A320s uh, right. into London, um, because that was a fully wet leased operation. So that was aircraft and crew. Right. Whereas this is BA pilots flying Qatar equipment. Wow. So that's interesting i have to say i mean i i guess i guess presumably they are you know they're they're, they're the same you know i i mean if you get you know get into one a330 or a320 i guess they're all the same is they, I, I there'll, there'll be differences between them depending on which versions have been ordered i would imagine and but the, yeah i mean that is why they've got to go through some with differences training i would imagine so yeah and it's uh, not yeah. only that companies also have different uh operations specifications and different uh checklist items and different uh, operations manuals. But uh, in an effort to keep us above 50%, uh, producer John actually says that Qatar actually owns part of uh, IAG, not the other way around. Oh. Oh. Am I right in thinking, Nev, that um, wages, people who paid wages for jobs in, in the UAE don't pay tax? Well, there's different uh, tax laws in mm. the Middle East compared to uh, the UK and Europe, so I don't know what the um, uh, the score is going to be with licensing and, and that kind of stuff. So it'll be interesting to see, won't it? I mean, I'm sure somebody's got it in hand. hand. <laughs> yeah, this uh, this gentleman Pip in the chat room has a good point, which is he's interested in how they get around licensing issues, as in a UK CAA licensed pilot jumping in and for uh, flying on a foreign oh, yeah, carrier. Yeah, that's and, true. Yeah, so so I think this whatever this offer is to British Airways pilots, there's there's probably a it's it's probably not a go back and forth type thing. It's it's a succumb a literally a, a sort of yeah. a semi permanent or or agreed so. term of secondment to rather than sort of uh, today I'm in this aircraft and tomorrow I'm flying for BA and then uh, in a week's time I'll be back in a in a Qatar. You know, I, I think it must Qatar. be that. Qatar, whatever. Qatar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would anticipate this is it's almost a semi-permanent type yeah. thing, if okay. not permanent. Well, wow. So, Armando, you've got story two, and it involves an aircraft that not only does Matt love, but is also one of my favorite uh, commercial airliners. Uh. <laughs> yeah, so we're trying something a little bit new this, this week. And uh, in aviation, we always say anything that's dumb, different, or dangerous should be pointed out. 
Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you guys, the chat room, you guys, the listeners can tell us at the end of the show uh, which category this falls into, whether it was dumb, different, or dangerous. But our first military story, mm-hmm. um, Matt's favorite <laughs> airplane, the 757-200. So this, uh, the company Leonardo, which we all know, and, and a second aviation services company called 2Excel, they're modifying this Boeing 757-200 airliner to act as a flying laboratory. So <laughs> you guys love to come up with some pretty cool names. I feel like it's uh, aviation meets Game of Thrones. So this airplane's called Excalibur. You don't want to call them. And, uh, Ignore him, sorry. I, I know, right? <laughs> sorry. Like, I'm very sorry. Still li- are we still live? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was just so, offering Matt a drink because he had yeah. a little cough. Carlos forgot that we have microphones in front of us, basically. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, you know what Carlos is doing is, is actually representing the 64% of people that are, aren't interested in the military. <laughs> Therefore, they're like, they're going to the fridge right that now. Is, they're going oh, to the no. restroom. They're going to go walk the dog for the next four and a half minutes while we read this story. Apologize to Armando yeah, immediately. I find yeah, the military interesting, so thank you. He switch says he says talking all the way through. It. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. Anyway, carry on. Anyway, the this uh, Excalibur, which is the seven fifty seven two hundred, is going to be testing technology for the Tempest fighter jet, which is being developed by the international team uh, Tempest. I think that's what they're calling themselves now for the RAF and the Italian Air Force. So this uh, Tempest is all being digitally designed. That but the technology that goes into it will sooner or later need to be uh, tested in the real world before it ever gets to the test aircraft. Um, so, obviously named after the legendary sword of King Arthur, which is exactly what a 757 looks like, um, <laughs> this, uh, this Excalibur will provide that real-world uh, flight training environment or flight environment uh, for this next-generation aircraft. Um, I can see that we're uh, just going to move along with the military. So this, <laughs> no, no, this no, no, is, no, no, carry no, on. No, no, no. No, seriously, this this is something that's been done quite a bit. We've seen some Frankenstein-type airplanes between mm. the 747s, the 757s. Uh, there's Raytheon has that catfish-looking one that, that they use for testing avionics. The U.S. Air Force has a bunch of funky-looking 757s also that that they use for their testing. I, I, I think I just saw the latest generation F-16 radar and oh, nose cone wow. is being tested on on Raytheon's uh, 757 uh, 200. So it's been done before. I'm sure Boeing is just kind of pulling this uh, this design off the uh, off the old uh, you know shelf and then and doing this for for the Tempest program. But there you go. So Matt, you are not going to see 757s stop flying anytime soon, and Yay. they're just going to be. Get cooler looking. Actually, I'm on, I'm I, I do love that. I do love that picture. Actually, I don't know if you saw. I don't that, know if you saw that. Awesome. I was just going to say. I love that the paint so job cool. on that. Yeah, and the nose cone and the, and the awesome. Well, the winglets and that. Most of seven fives in the commercial ones have the winglets now. But I was just looking up Armando where they where they where they're acquiring this seven five from. It's coming from Tui. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, okay. Tui. It's an X X Tui um uh, seven five. So nice. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Lee Davies in the chat room. He said he's still interested in the military. Yeah, so thank absolutely. You, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's a, I, I should I should explain. I just start, I just started having a coughing bit of a cough. So I turned all the microphones off, and he and, and I, I'd sort of he missed the signal when I said they were back live again. Basically, <laughs> he was he was trying to offer me a drink because I was having a coughing fit. Yeah, so in, trying, trying to save in his him. defense, <laughs> trying to save the poor man. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, okay, I so think story, you're next. Yeah, story number three. This is uh, from the Mirror.co.uk. 
and worldairlineawards.com. And it's the, well, it's what we've all been waiting to hear, isn't it? The world's best budget airlines in 2021 have been ranked. Oh, oh my right. word. Okay. So EasyJet, Ryanair and Jet2.com have been named some of the world's best low-cost airlines in a new top 20 rankings. AirAsia trumped uh, in the top spot, but the three UK airlines fared well. EasyJet was 6th, Ryanair 8th and Jet2 15th. Uh, the rankings were revealed in the Skytrax Awards for 2021, which included a category for budget airlines. The research covered over 350 airlines and looked at factors including customer service, uh, something we all know Ryanair is great at, uh, <laughs> cabin seat comfort, cabin cleanliness, food quality and the check-in process, to name but a few. Being in the world's top 20 wasn't the only accolade awarded to EasyJet as well, as well as coming second in Europe's best budget rankings. It was also named the UK's best low-cost airline. Mm-hmm. So we've got a few. Uh, t- uh, well, we've got a few top 20s and a, and a top five here. Okay, of these. all so, right. Okay, uh, uh, we'll so start with. Hang uh, on, here we go. Hang on, you, you know the rules. I know. This is the top 10 <laughs> best low-cost airlines in Europe. In 10. <laughs> At number 10, it's one I've never heard of before. It's Pobida. Right, okay. Armando, number 9. Level? Okay. I've never heard of that one. Uh, number 8, please. Uh, it's Air Baltic. Good airline, that. Ooh. At number 7, it's everyone's favourite purple carrier. It's Wiz Air. We mentioned them just a moment ago. In at number 6, it's Jet 2. No, we didn't. We talked about two. Never mind me. I was listening. (laughs) (laughs) Number five, I'm on no. Number five is actually still one of my favorite airlines, and they're still hanging in there. That's Norwegian. (laughs) Wow. Number four, please, Nev. It's Eurowings from Germany. Okay. I'm going to say number three just because it's all right. (laughs) Number three, it's Ryanair. (laughs) Uh, Number two, it's the awesome orange EasyJet. And finally, at number one, Armando. That is Vueling Airlines. <laughs> now, what? I don't know. Where's Where's Vueling? Vueling is I mean, it must uh, be European, Europe, obviously. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so now this is the top twenty of the world's top twenty best low-cost airlines. So in at number twenty. Okay. Uh, it's uh, Wizz Air. Ooh. Number nineteen, Armando. Uh, Air Arabia. Ooh, eighteen, Nev. Spring Airlines. Huh? Spring Airlines, right, okay, no idea. Carlos, number 17. Jet Smart. And at number 16, it's Spice Jet. 15, Armando. Uh, once again, Jet 2. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, number 14, Nev. Air Canada Rouge. What? Now, hang on, hang on, I have to ask a question. What's Air Canada Rouge? Is it's it, not the cheap version of Air Canada. Is it just literally the Air Canada? It's, uh, I think it's called an Air Canada Light. Okay, right. Mm. Yes, fair yes. enough. Uh, and at number 13, please, Carlos. It is Norwegian. Very good. Number 12, Armando. Uh, I've flown this quite a bit, actually. Eurowings. Okay, right. Where, where, where about? I mean, presumably in Europe. Uh, for me, it was always Stansted to Stuttgart. And I did that about 500 times. Oh, well, maybe wow, not. okay. Quite Blimey. a bit. Uh, Nev, Nev loves his fruit. So what's this next one, Nev? Yes, number 11 is peach. Quite peachy, actually. <laughs> and at number 10, it's flyness. <laughs> flyness? No, is that not how it's said? Well, I don't know. It's like <laughs> flyness or something. Flyness, like, I don't know. okay, all right. At number nine, number <laughs> nope. nine 
It's Jetstar Asia. Oh, okay, cool. And uh, number eight, please, Nev. Uh, number eight is Ryanair. Very good. Uh, number seven, Armando. I'm going to assume this is not Asia, but Jetstar Airways. Ooh. They're non-Asian directorate. Direct, right. <laughs> and at number five, he says uh, missing at number six. It's, oh, yeah. at number six. At number six, it was easy, Jet. <laughs> we're, just skip, we're just skipping over number, number six. Yeah, 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 easy, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, flew, I flew with them a couple of weeks ago. Nev, five. Nev, who's yeah. in at number five? Number five is Indigo. Mm-hmm. Okay. No. Uh, why do I know that name? I don't know. I've never heard. Oh, oh we I talk don't. about him a lot. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, okay. And number four. Yeah. Uh, once again, Vueling Airlines, which, thank you, Captain Cruz, who should be on the production staff, is uh, out of Spain. So, ah, very good. Okay. And uh, at number three, it's the airline you use if you're in a hurry. It's Scoot. Oh, dear. Right, okay. And uh, number two, please, Nev. Yes, yeah, Southwest Airlines, not, not surprisingly. And finally, at number one, please, Armando. Uh, that is Air Asia. Okay. Has anybody flown with um, Air Not Asia? Not Air Asia, no. Nope. No. no. So does anybody agree? Is what I love that this is an aviation podcast, and there's about a third of these that we're all <laughs> we're scratching like, our huh? head going. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and a quick, this is a quick top five then. <laughs> now, this one is the world's best long haul low-cost airlines of 2021 should i should i i mean is that just the five only long haul it must be the five only one so <laughs> in at number five it's air asia x right okay number four please nev level but not level 42 just level <laughs> okay. oh they were by the banned, way uh, captain yeah. cruz tells us that level is out of portugal that's very good sign him up to the Armando. team quickly yes Who, who's in at number three uh number three is air canada rouge again Ooh. Okay. Number two, it's Jetstar Airways. Lovely. Very good. And uh, finally, at number one, it, it is Scoot. I keep saying... Sorry. I just... Right. I, I, keep, no. I keep saying the word Scoot, and I have Scat Airways going back in my head. I'm sorry oh, about don't that. Don't start. <laughs> anyway. No, um, too much? Too much? Uh, 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 two things. Uh, one for me well, is, how the hell did Vueling beat EasyJet? Don't know. And second one, how did AirAsia beat Southwest? Uh, well, my point of contention is the same as Micah's in the chat room, which is Southwest started as a low-cost airline. Are they a low-cost airline still? Meh. I don't know. They're oh, about the same okay. as everybody else now. Right. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I hadn't really thought, sort of thought of that. That's, a, that's, an, in, that's an interesting But I guess stat. it's on their, it's on their posters, so. <laughs> it, just, right. it just goes to show, though, that if you Yeah, but are... that, by, by that definition, you could make BA a, a, a low-cost airline. <laughs> well, they, they tried to do a yeah. low-cost Amer- airline. American Airlines is also low-cost if yeah. you buy the ticket six months ahead of time from, like, uh, I, don't, I don't even know, Bob Lexington, Kentucky to, yeah. to Charleston, West Virginia. That's also low-cost. If it's on the poster, it must be true, Nev. Has this become a pedantic podcast? Sorry, my, my bad. Okay, moving on. Okay, anyway, it's no fair point, yes. Moving on to the next story. This is why we need Nev, you see. It's the voice I of reason. Know. This is it. Uh, Nev's like the, the overseer. Yes, think, quite. Yeah. The overlord. If overlord, you yes. yes. absolutely. So, Matt, you've got a military story next. All Have about, I? All about the Luftwaffe's new A321D. Right, okay. And somebody didn't think about the fact that I've got to do that and put pictures up. But anyway, oh, there we go. Well, so, uh, uh, there we go. Uh, so, the, uh, l- the headline is Luftwaffe's 
uh, first A321neo is unveiled. So Germany ordered two aircraft of the long-range version of the Airbus jet for troop transport and medical evacuation. The Luftwaffe last week unveiled the first Airbus A321neo, which will be received in 2022. The aircraft is part of an order for two jets of the long-range version and will be used for troop transport and medical evacuation. The the contract was signed with Lufthansa Technik, which will adapt uh, the two planes to carry out various uh, missions in the midst of 18 planned configurations. Uh, the Luftwaffe A321neo will be available to carry up to 163 passengers or adapted to accommodate six intensive care patients or 12 with mild and moderate illnesses. It's also possible to convert the aircraft to mixed configurations. The two A321 long-range aircraft were acquired in July of last year and delivered by Airbus to Lufthansa Technik in August and October without the interior configured. Uh, the uh, so, so so presumably by that definition they they're doing the interior themselves. Then is that what? Um... It's likely, yeah. It's likely yeah. that the, there's a defense contractor that's going to do the interior, especially because the uh, A321neo is, you know, pretty similar size to that 757, and uh, this uh, their ability to get into some smaller airfields that they right. may not be able to get into with the 330. Okay. Um, yeah, but but it's probably going to have. So um, I'll save you, Matt. But it's going to have a, a medical configuration, and that will likely have additional uh, not aviators oxygen but but medical oxygen on there with some surgical lights probably some surgical tables Mm. um, additional power requirements to power some of that uh, medical equipment ventilators things like that so um, yeah so it's it's probably going to be a pretty unique interior that 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 uh, the Luftwaffe has a a a third-party defense contractor to do the work for it's it's to say it's they 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 all look so dull in grey, don't they? It's <laughs> quite good in grey. Oh, do you think? Yeah, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. But if you I, if you ding it, it's it's easier to touch it up if it's all right. One if it's yeah. all the same, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, there is that. Wouldn't it be funny, like twenty years from now, when really we realise that everything was painted grey just because it was the cheapest colour? Right. True. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Had no tactical no. or strategic considerations whatsoever. It's no. just having to be just, just, the cheapest the, one. The cheapest paint they could buy. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the story The story finishes. The, sh- uh, the schedule foresees uh, the delivery of both in the first quarter of 2022. The long-range version of the A321neo is 20% more economical, which translates into a 900-kilometre longer range. The German government justified the purchase of the aircraft last year because of transport needs arising during the COVID-19 pandemic, um, which is uh, that a paragraph that sort of surprised me a bit, really. Was there, I, I, I must admit, I hadn't really thought of the, the need um, yeah. for, um, you know, a, you know, military, uh, not military, sorry, uh, medical uh, mm-hmm. maneuvers, if you like, in, in pandemic times. Yeah, oh. absolutely. As we, as we kill the top 10 music, um, the... If you guys remember, we did a couple different stories. There was a story on a um, a roll-on capability that was almost an isolation chamber uh, in oh, the initial days on, of COVID. We we talked about that. I think it was either on a C-130. No, no. It was on a jet. It was on a 747 or something like that. Um, and I believe that capability evolved into 
uh, transporting critical passengers as well as highly contagious passengers, not just for COVID, but COVID out, uh, highlighted some capability gaps. So I think now for the future, they're probably going to try to do uh, have this capability as part of, of a new aircraft too. But um, and then and then as you guys know, I mean, it, initially we were transporting people all over the world. Uh, back home, repatriating people that were stuck overseas. Oh, I see. That, yeah, you, rem you remember yeah. we did a couple stories about yeah, that. Yeah, where the, yeah. At yeah. the end of the day, it was it was the uh, individual countries' military. Of course, uh, military yeah. That, so, that flew out there. So it wasn't. Uh, yeah. So it wasn't necessarily its medical. Um, sorry, I was assuming that its configuration, if you like, was was with the medical requirements. Have you seen? But actually, no. The passenger variant is more what would have been more useful, obviously, during during said pandemic. I was yeah, which is exactly what this airplane is for. It's, it's a multi-role where you can configure it for a, a combination passenger, combination mm -hmm. medical transport. Go ahead, Carlos. Yeah. I, I was oh, no, sorry. I was watching a documentary series last week about the the, out, the refitting or the outfitting of the new Air Force uh, Air Force One over in the US, and um, they're actually having the, on the Air Force One. They're going to have an actual operational theater for doing operations. You know, actual medical operations in. Oh, wow they're having an actual proper bed with all the overhead light everything to make to so they can actually perform complex um oh, yeah. operations that, on on people yeah if you guys remember we uh there was the orbis flying hospital the dc8 mm. yeah 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 yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep, they have a similar thing where was they that, can do. Was that, where was that? You, what, it was somebody went to it. Yeah, that's made. That was yeah. I think yeah, it was at Oshkosh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's made it over to Europe a couple times for farm growth, mm. not recently, but um, yeah, yeah it, was... you know, it, 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 they try to make their rounds to the to the big air shows, the Paris air show, things like that. Um, but that that is just one example. There's many of those. Well, I mean, maybe not many, but there's quite a few of those. Uh, medical transport aircraft that that have the uh, the ability to do. Uh, up to open heart surgery on an aircraft. Wow. Gosh, you wouldn't want any turbulence during that particular uh -huh. maneuver, would you? I got the wrong end of the stick there. When you said it was an operational theatre, I thought they were going to put on a play or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, put, on, put on Les Mis mid-air. Oh, that would be so yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, oh, taking the new version of IFE back back analog, right? Like yeah. Oh, yeah. Go back to basics. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. It's not a bad I idea. Like it. Well, of course, of course uh, up in first class in British Airways, Nev's going to have like some Shakespeare playing. Of course, and absolutely. Gonna, and we're, we're well, just going to get the... Obviously, I would be in the royal box. Of course, absolutely, <laughs> the, the equivalent thereof. And, uh, and there's, then the rest of us in cattle class will be watching, I don't know, uh, uh, Mamma Mia or something like that. You know, we'll give you some Minecraft. Binoculars. Yeah, give us some binoculars. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, Nev, okay. you've got the next story, and uh, I just hope this guy wasn't using Gorilla Glue. No, indeed. Uh, this has come from a number of different sources. Simpleflying.com, the BBC, Sky and My London News and the standard.co.uk. Uh, it says the man who spectacularly glued himself to the top of a British Airways Embraer aircraft two years ago has been jailed for one year. Uh, the court at Southwark Crown Court deliberated for less than an hour before handing down the sentence, noting that his actions disrupted more than 300 passengers and cost British Airways in the region of £40,000. Oh, my gosh. Uh, the jury heard that Brown had uh, booked his flight 
Uh, it was a fellow called James Brown, actually. Yes, James Brown had booked his flight on October the 10th, 2019, which was the morning of the stunt. He'd been offered assistance with boarding due to his visual impairment. Uh, Brown wedged his phone in the door so that it wouldn't close and proceeded to use a bottle of superglue he had secreted into, into his luggage to glue his right hand to the aircraft. Uh, the former athlete remained on top of the aircraft, which necessitated a team of specially trained protest removal officers to be called. They, along with the London Fire Brigade, then succeeded in removing him from the roof after more than an hour. Uh, Brown, who represented himself at the trial, uh, denied one count of causing a public nuisance, claiming he had to do something spectacular to draw attention to the climate crisis. Uh, Judge Perrin said the right to protest does not entitle you to cause major widespread disruption to a major airport simply because you think it's the right thing to do. A team of specially trained protest removal officers was called and along with the London Fire Brigade they succeeded in removing him from the roof. Uh, Brown was part of a wider protest uh, by the activist group Extinction Rebellion, who held many protests shutting down the airport that day. Another member prevented an Aer Lingus aircraft taking off by standing in the aisle and lecturing the passengers on climate change as the aircraft taxied towards the runway. The protester was offloaded, but ironically the flight required to be refuelled due to the delay. Uh, James Brown was sentenced to one year in prison, of which it is suspended. Of, of which it is suspected he will serve approximately half. Uh, Extinction Rebellion organisers have vowed to hold a vigil outside Wandsworth Prison every day until activist, uh, activist Brown is released. During sentencing, uh, the judge issued a warning to other activists, uh, activists keen to get involved in the disruptive process uh, protests. He said, you are not entitled to a more lenient treatment simply because you are protesting about environmental matters as opposed to some other cause. Everyone in this country has the right to protest and there are many ways in which that can be done without breaking the law. Um, my only regret, regret about reading this story is that the sentence wasn't long enough. Mm. I yeah, I mean, in the interests of in the interests of balance, I should just say uh, that uh, John has put an awful lot of work into offering some details about uh, the the individual who was involved uh, in this, uh, um, and uh, I should just stray, should just stress at the bottom. He says, of which, in my opinion, is utterly irrelevant to the story, uh, but the seem the media seems to be making a big thing of it he's a gold medalist represented team gb in the winter games etc 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 i mean oh, i well now he's I'm got just, a criminal record doesn't he so he has um, mm. he, he's spoilt all of that well, yeah i i i don't i i i i have i just don't understand what uh, well i'll tell I, you one thing yeah i bet he doesn't feel good dun, 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 dun. Do you know, we we need a uh, Nev. Um, if you could add into your um, your wonderful uh, list of sound effects, perhaps like a sort of some wind and some tumbleweed, something like that. Yes, I think that would be very I'll helpful. Yeah. I wonder when. I wonder if when I, police... ideally for by the end of the show. I think at this rate. I wonder. If, <laughs> I wonder if when the police turned up, they said, "Get up off of that thing." Okay, I think. Um, yeah, I think enough of that now. If I'm honest, um, but uh, I'll leave the chat. I mean, I, mean I, I guess really. Uh, I mean. Uh, my, my my this is I, I i i get you know the the cause is not my issue uh here and it, there there must be ways of i i don't know 
it's, it's like that. I'm sorry. I'm really struggling to find the words here because. Do you want a beer? Uh, uh, yeah, the, the the bit that we're yeah, that'll help. The 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 bit. I don't know how much uh, many I know because a lot of our listeners are obviously not here in the UK, and we've had a lot of problems with people putting. Um, uh, sort of essentially doing similar stunts by super gluing themselves to mm. motorways oh, and things blimey, like yeah. that here yeah. in the region, uh, in, especially around M25. London where, and sort of Nev's sort of neck of the woods. I mean, it's just like, oh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how I can... I, I just find the whole thing very, very frustrating. What you, what you mean is, Matt, there are better ways of making a point. I think so. Or making your point. I, I don't think all avenues of communication have been exhausted at this stage to, to warrant... These things. I mean, if nothing else, I mean, what he did essentially. Uh, although the other, you know, very very dangerous is what I was gonna was gonna say. But also uh, the 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 paragraph there that you read, Nevid, the fact that uh, the vehicle that the aircraft then had to be refueled, I found slightly fascinating. <laughs> yes, I don't know why that was the case because it had not um, gone anywhere. Unless AP, you know, unless the um, the AP. APU was running for oh, a long maybe, period uh, of time, yeah, maybe perhaps. or. I sh- yeah. because they get, will have been passengers. Oh, I suppose I suppose they will have been passengers on board, wouldn't they? Um, yes. Yeah, so perhaps because they, they were boarding. running for all that time, and therefore, uh, yeah, which they were there been. for quite a long time. So yes. yeah, you're right. Mind you, you could I suppose you could have have, have uh, unboard. What's the correct word? Not unboarded. Deplaned. Deplaned. I don't know what the word is. I'm looking for. Uh, I'm not doing very well tonight. Well, Should unboard, I stop? Talk- unboarded would have been though. Right. I'm going to yeah. stop talking. I think. So I'm Armando. Story number six and. Uh, uh, a slight accident, but I'm glad it's got uh, a, a relatively good outcome. Yeah, taking it back to the military, this uh, this is now about 11 days old, but uh, because I wasn't here, I, I still wanted, you know, had bookmarked it and wanted to talk about it. So this military jet that crashed in uh, just outside of Dallas, it's Lake Worth, uh, is a neighborhood there. These two pilots were hospitalized. Three people were treated for minor injuries after this jet crashed into uh, this neighborhood. Now, this was on the 19th of September, I believe. Uh, both pilots ended up, ended up ejecting. One was taken uh, in critical condition by Care Flight, which is a medical transport to Parkland Memorial Hospital in Dallas, and an ambulance took the other one to uh, to another hospital in, in Fort Worth, according to the fire department. So this happened about 10.53 in the morning uh, on that Sunday. Um, it, around Lake Worth, a student pilot was, uh, and, and I've actually seen an update just uh, in the past day about this. A student pilot is actually still in serious condition and he was uh, is still receiving treatments for his injuries. Um, he's going to uh, end up staying in the hospital because he suffered burns when he hit uh, some power lines under the parachute. Uh, there were some high tension power lines. Now, this jet was assigned to training Air Wing 2 at Naval Air Station Kingsville. Uh, it was conducting, as they always say, a routine training flight from Corpus Christi um, that's according to the chief of Naval Air Training's office. Uh, the crash, ha- the cause of the crash had not been determined quite yet, and the safety team um, at the time of this writing was on its way to assess the damage. Um, this plane came down about one mile north of Naval Air Station Joint Reserve Base Fort Worth, or what used to be known as Carswell Air Force Base. Um, three houses were damaged when the plane crashed into the backyards. Three residents from the houses were treated for minor injuries and then released. Um, one pi- one pilot was found in the power lines with his parach- parachute. The other pilot was found in a nearby neighborhood. Um, now, the uh, this area, this neighborhood, had actually been designated by the military as uh, quote accident potential zone, um, which is an area where the an accident occur- 
could occur based on its approach or departure from the military base. Uh, two off-duty Fort Worth fire uh, firefighters ran to help these pilots um, and then a couple of the neighbors that chipped in. And in the uh, update that we found just in the last day or so, the, the team from the Navy's um, on-scene coordination group actually removed uh, all the hazardous material. They went out and removed some of the soil from the backyards um, of the houses where the aircraft crashed. And um, they actually, believe it or not, they actually brought in some clean soil to, to replace that. Oh, wow. uh, that contaminated soil. And it was a T-45 uh, jet. Um, there you go. So the instructor was released. The student pilot is is still recovering from those burns. So our thoughts are obviously with the mm. U.S. Navy and the uh, second air training. Absolutely. It's, um... Do you think, Armando, it's, it, it's something to do with obviously trying and all these guys obviously trying to with an inch of you know what they do, but because things have been so quiet lately, there's obviously been less um, flying, I'd imagine, for pretty much everyone, not just commercial, but military pilots as well. Yeah, during the height of the pandemic, military training flights took a little bit of a hit. I mm. think there were quite a few articles about proficiency versus currency, um, how aircraft air crews were keeping currency, but not necessarily proficient at their missions. The whole world just kind of slowed down a little bit. I think by now it's kind of started ramping back up. Most of the military, I, I would guess in the 90% ish is vaccinated. They, they're, they're, you know, the government has a great way to, to test out safety protocols. And often the military is some of the first to experience some of those protocols that you may see uh, proliferated out to the community. Um, <laughs> we're basically guinea pigs, but, um, you know, people, wherever you stand on vaccines, uh, you know, I got my vaccines and I was like, COVID, okay, bring it because they shot me up with anthrax about 10 years ago. So, Ooh, blimey. Ooh, blimey. yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah for, know, forgive my night. Sorry, this is completely, uh, uh, apropos of nothing. Was there any particular reason for that or was it just a, like, to yeah, build at the time, at the time, anthrax was a biological weapon that was, was. And it still is a, a viable biological weapon and used by both state and non-state actors. So we, most military people um, in, in most countries actually get vaccinated for uh, either a specific region that you may operate in. Right. So that's not just the diseases of yellow fever or... or uh, it's the other stuff that goes... Right, tuberculosis yeah. stuff. But, it's, but you, you actually... Anything that could be a biological weapon, you get vaccinated against... Um, if there is a vaccine for it, so in, wow. in our case, uh, anthrax was one of those. I want that pandemic. Gosh, I mean, and I'm complaining because I felt a little bit poorly when I had my my COVID thing. I can't imagine what that must have been like. Well, I, I, and our parents' generation had had smallpox, right? You guys had smallpox. Yeah, true. Vaccines. True. Like, yeah, that's not exactly yeah, okay. a fun vaccine. But. No, fair point. Yep. Okay. So, Matt. Uh, yep. Your next story is uh, we're going to, to to one of your favourite areas of the world. We are absolutely. Mm. So uh, it's uh, not story two. Uh, however, it is a Ryanair story, and the headline is Ryanair returns to Cork 
Irish base to reopen in December. Uh, so this comes from simpleflying and corkairport.com. After closing its Cork base in October 2020, Ryanair has confirmed that it will reopen with two based 737-800s from December the 1st. Some 12 routes will operate from Cork this summer, rising to 20 next summer. Two routes previously operated by Aer Lingus Regional um, will will uh, are coming, uh, continuing the theme of Ryanair launching ex-Flyby and ex-Stobart Air routes to the UK. Uh, Ryanair reopening its Cork base follows Cork uh, Airport, operated by the Dublin Airport Authority, agreeing to extend the pandemic recovery scheme to the end of October 2022. This raises the obvious question of what will happen in winter 2022. Uh, according to Cork Airport recovery scheme documents, a two aircraft base will mean Ryanair is entitled to £300,000 euros as a one-off credit this assumes the base is operational before december 31st and that each based aircraft has a minimum frequency of 14 weekly rotations that's round trips curiously the document also says that the scheduled timings proposed and operated must be pre-approved by cork airport operations although this could be a simple tick box exercise as the scheme has uh, been extended from the end of march to october 2022 a greater incentive has likely been offered as cork airport's managing director Niall mccarthy said ryanair is a long-standing business partner of cork airport they are demanding their right be uh they they are demanding their right to be demanding but we are delighted to be here today to announce the reopening of the base in the first week of december ryanair will have 12 routes from cork with 53 weekly departures in all according to flights available for booking though uh as usual with ryanair bases not all flights will use cork based aircraft it'll have 91 percent of the flights it had in the same week in 2019 Looking ahead to the first week of August, Ryanair will have 20 routes and 76 weekly outbound flights in the same period in 2019. The ultra-low-cost carrier had 22 routes from Cork and 85 outbound flights a week. Now, I must say, I mean, I don't know whether, uh, I don't know what, cause you, you was, uh, Nev, you were saying because you were with Aer Lingus, obviously, last uh, last or this week, sorry, where you've been flying about. I mean, I went to Belfast with um, uh, EasyJet um, the previous week. And I must say, certainly in my experience, both flights were absolutely rammed. Mm, yes. And um, that happened on the flight out to Dublin with BA as well, because there's only yeah. I think, two or three a day at the moment. So until they get the frequency back up. They're going to be jamming lots of folks onto the flights, mm. just like it used to be. Yeah. Um, because they need to get some money back. They can't fly around with half-empty aircraft. No, indeed. The, the fares aren't that expensive. But, um, yeah, so I think we're going to see a bit more of that. But I think they do need to lay a few more flights on because it is getting a bit jammed. But, mm. um, of course, Cork is going through a big uh, refurbishment at the moment. Um, so um, I think it's closed currently okay it will be soon uh, and they're going through a huge refurbishment but uh, it'll be good because in that part of the country um there's not very much connectivity apart from shannon and a few of the other smaller regional airports wow so, okay. uh, no it should be should be good yeah please indeed tell. but i mean certainly my, my experience of um 
of like flying. Well, I mean, I suppose yours wasn't quite within the UK, obviously, because you went to, you went into Dublin, didn't you? Yeah. Um, as I say, I went into Belfast, but I mean, it certainly felt like you know there was an element of normality. And although, for example, in my case, Stansted wasn't as busy as it probably would ordinarily have been. Um, say around about ten o'clock, which is when I was coming through Stansted's departure lounge. Uh, it was, it was never, it was pretty busy. I mean, I, th- I think there is definitely signs of recovery, isn't there? Mm. Oh, sure, yeah, definitely. And uh, T five at Heathrow is very busy indeed. So um, is it? Yeah, it's um, it's not quite back to to full on, but uh, yeah. I think once we start seeing some of the because uh, the, obviously the PCR testing is being yes. scrapped from uh, next week, actually, isn't it? Okay. In, in many cases, so <clears throat> that will help on the European sectors, and then of course from November onwards, there's the prospect of a bit of US flying as well. Yes, um, yes, which indeed, is long which is overdue. Super exciting, yeah. it really is. According to uh, Captain Nick in the chat room, apparently he uh, prefers old-fashioned aluminium-based aircraft, not cork ones. Right. Okay. I can I can see why that would be of interest to him. Mm. Certainly. <laughs> I guess it makes ditching better, though. Yeah. It's not, yeah. 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 Good. <laughs> Not too true, true that. Don't know about the pressurisation part of things, but anyway, yeah, uh, a bit leaky, a bit leaky. Yes. Yes. I'll just put a cork in it. Anyway, oh. this uh, comes to us. Now, from... if I need seriously the tumbleweed, <laughs> this comes to us. Uh, this military story comes to us from the airforcetimes.com and uh, B two bomber crashes in Missouri. Oh my God, Jonathan Warner's going to be cutted uh, after in flight malfunction, but none injured. So a B two Spirit bomber crashed on the runway at Whiteman Air Force Base in Missouri after the aircraft malfunctioned during a routine training flight in the middle of the night on Tuesday, the Air Force has confirmed. The stealth bomber was damaged in the emergency landing at around 12.30am on the 14th of September, though the extent of the damage has not been disclosed. No one was injured in the crash and there was no uh, fire on board, Air Force Global Strike Command spokesperson Jennifer Green said on September the 15th. Uh, two airmen, a pilot and a mission commander, uh, can ride in the B-2, and Green did not answer how many people were inside the bomber uh, by press time. The Air Force's fleet of 20 Spirit bombers can fire both conventional and nuclear weapons in combat, but it was not carrying weapons when it crashed, she said. Green declined to answer other questions about the incidents, uh, such as what uh, the in-flight incident or malfunction was as the Air Force investigates the mishap. The war zone reported Wednesday the B-2 may have experienced a hydraulic failure in flight and its port main landing gear collapsed during the landing sending it off the runway with its wing dugging into the ground. Satellite imagery provided to Air Force Times by Planet Labs showed the bomber resting on the grass Uh, next to the paved area. Uh, The Federal Aviation Administration issued a notice banning aircraft from flying within six miles of Whiteman between uh, September the 14th to the 17th to provide a safe environment for investigation, uh, citing hazards in the area. B-2 mishaps are rare. The most recent recorded incident was in fiscal 2015, according to the Air Force Safety Centre, and preceded by a fire that heavily damaged one bomber in 2010, and one B-2 was destroyed in a crash upon takeoff in Guam in 2008. Whiteman has served as the only B-2 home base since the 1990s, 
Each airframe costs a cool $1.2 billion. As they entered regular operations in 1998, according to the Air Force, and the service plans to retire the fleet in the next 10 years to make way for the more advanced B-21 Raider, which is now in production. So how far is uh, Whiteman from uh, from you, Armando? Oh, it's in the middle of the country. Uh, it's uh, it's in Knobnoster, Missouri. Uh, if you've ever been out there, you were probably lost. Oh. It's far. It's in the middle of the country. It's a few miles away then. It's a bit like where how yeah. far we are away from everyone, Matt. Living here. Everyone in general, yeah. Everyone Just in general, stop. exactly, yeah. yeah. Yes, Knobnoster, Missouri is the bungie of America. Char. Oh, there we go. Sums that up. In, I'm sure they'll be delighted with sentence. that comparison. Yeah. yeah. So, Nev, you've got uh, commercial news story nine here. Yes, uh, this is on the uh, flightglobal.com website, AV Herald, and on the CAA.co.org. Dot za in South Africa. Uh, it says that South African investigators have disclosed that a Semair Bombardier CLJ-200 crew departed from George Airport before the control tower opened, despite being aware of an inbound Airlink Embraer ERJ-135 on approach to the same runway from the opposite direction. Preliminary inquiries into the 23rd of August incident, classified as a serious incident by the South, South African CAA, have found that the airport's tower and approach control centres opened at different times, 15 minutes apart. The rationale as to why these two stations opened at different times could not be determined with certainty, but posed a serious safety implication on the operations at the aerodrome, the inquiry states, pointing out that the outbound Semair service to Johannesburg and the inbound Airlink flight from Cape Town were scheduled to be operating at George around the same time. According to the inquiry, the departing CRJ-200 crew were well aware of NOTAM information listing the different tower and approach opening times. As the CRJ-200, with 38 passengers and three crew, uh, their call sign was uh, Semair 125, scheduled for departure at 0545 Zulu, taxied for runway 29. Its crew were called by approach control and informed that the tower frequency will be opening within two minutes at uh, 0545 Zulu and that there was an aircraft inbound for the opposite direction, runway 11, within the next seven minutes. Uh, the KEM-125 crew requested runway 29, but were informed that the, as the tower was closed, their request could not be accommodated. Uh, approach informed the aircraft to hold position at the Alpha 3 holding point, but despite being informed to hold position by approach control, the CRJ's captain replied that the flight was ready for an immediate departure and would follow the unmanned procedure to take off from runway 29 and turn left over the sea. Uh, the captain broadcast an advisory of this departure over the approach frequency. Uh, at 05.44 and 58 seconds, the tower now occupied the radio, uh, radio that they were in service and for any aircraft on frequency to acknowledge that at the time, KEM-125 was still on the runway. At 05.45 and 35 seconds, Zulu, the crew radioed that they were now rolling for takeoff. Uh, the, chem uh, the Semair crew did not wait for the tower to open, 
uh, even after they were informed by approach control of the situation with the Airlink flight, says the inquiry. After learning that the Semair aircraft was rolling for takeoff about the same time as the tower opened, approach controllers told the Airlink flight to stop its descent at 8,000 feet and turned the aircraft to the south off its approach path, instructing it to descend whilst the Semair jet climbed away. The Airlink crew was then cleared to realign for a visual approach to runway 11. Investigators have yet to reach formal conclusions on the incident, but none of the occupant, none of the, none of the 41 occupants on board the CRJ200 or the 31 on the ERJ135 was injured. Well, of course they weren't injured because there was nothing happened. But you know, uh, so okay. a bit of um, bit of misunderstanding possibly. Can I can I all... jump in and and yeah. go, go a little bit technical? Way. Yeah, please do. All right. So this is a totally normal operation that happens all the time. Um, and whether you like it or not, it's, it's, it's completely legal. Um, now, I don't know about the aviation regulations in, in South Africa, but uh, here in the United States, um, whether you're a private pilot or a charter operation or even a um, 135, so a commuter style operation, you're you are allowed to take off VFR uh, from an uncontrolled field. And in fact, many, um, even regionals uh, airlines sometimes go into uncontrolled airfields and have these procedures. Now, the other aircraft that was coming in, um, so I, I, I take issue with a couple of these, these things. One, they, they, if it's a regularly scheduled thing and you had this, the Semair air crew and the Airlink air crew, and they do this all the time, right? If it happens a couple times a week, they should they should at least be aware or wanting to know where that other aircraft is because they see them there a couple times a week anyways, right? At the same time. Um, the Airlink aircraft that was approaching, I feel was close enough. They have multiple radios. They should have been using one radio to be to talk to air traffic control to the approach frequency. And they should have been monitoring the other radio, the airfield frequency, because whether it was the Semair aircraft or a private pilot um, in a private aircraft, they could, they needed to be monitoring, uh, they should have been monitoring that airfield frequency and the Semair aircraft, um, they announced their intentions, they announced their their takeoff from, from the opposing runway, at, which is perfectly legal and perfectly normal. Um, I do take a little bit of issue with them just disregarding the approach uh, instruction to hold at that taxiway. Okay, um, you know maybe there 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 should have been a reason that that there's no good reason that if approach you can't delay you know three minutes for that aircraft to land um, and hold your position, but for whatever reason the captain uh, decided to to take off opposite direction. Um, to be honest, they sh the aircraft should have been talking to each other. Um, I, I think they didn't even come close to each other. And this is a, it's perfectly normal and, um, and, and legal to take off VFR um, from an airfield. And if the wind support it, then, then if sometimes that, that is an opposing, you know, beak to beak takeoff. So um, I think this is just a, a timing thing and, and really a couple decisions could have been made differently, but everything was entirely legal. 
and he, the captain of the uh, Semair aircraft did broadcast an advisory of the departure over the approach frequency as well, it says. So yeah. um, he probably ticked the box there at least, didn't he? So Yeah, entirely legal. Yeah. There we are. Yeah, it's. I, I mean, it's. I mean, is it? Are, are these? Uh, does, does it say in the article? Are these people that are used to flying in that particular airspace? Are they used to flying in and out of the those two airports? Well, the, the captain has seventeen thousand hours, and I think over seven thousand hours time and type. And there can't be that many airports in South Africa that have this kind of commercial service. So I'm sure that that they're familiar with this. Yeah, I, I say this because I do it all the time. I, 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 when I'm flying charter and I'm at a small airstrip, I, you know, I take off VFR and I pick up my clearance in the air and there could certainly be another aircraft on approach that is on a instrument clearance, but everybody should be monitoring the airfield frequency just like I would be monitoring. And, th and there's the way that works. If you're both on instrument flight plans, um, what the person on the ground is going to get a hold for a release. So they're going to get their clearance, but, but the approach controller whether you're talking to them on the phone because you can't reach them or it's an uncontrolled field uh, field they're going to tell you hold for release until i'm until i clear that airspace for you um, and and they cannot clear that airspace for you to take off on an instrument flight plan um, until that other aircraft both lands and cancels their their uh their ifr flight plan or 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 flight following so once the controller knows that other aircraft is on the ground then they'll call back to the other aircraft that's holding short and then clear them and say hey you are released you have five minutes to get off the ground if you're not off the ground in five minutes Let call me, me back yeah 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 because um, yeah. they're okay. they're blocking off that airspace but but it's perfectly legal to to say you know what we're going to take off vfr and um and pick up our clearance in the air. But I mean, three three minutes. I mean, that's literally all they would have had to have waited, and then they would have been, you know, yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway, we there's much we could discuss about this particular story, but perhaps we should move on. I know to the next story, which is uh, coming to us from Flight Global, and uh, we've got uh, a resident Airbus pilot in the chat room, Captain Nick. Although he'll be retired now, but right. uh, he still knows his stuff. Uh, this is uh, Latam. Uh, are to equip their A380s with idle engine idle descent function. So uh, Chile's LATAM Airlines will equip its fleet of Airbus A320 CEO family narrowbodies with an Airbus-supplied system that reduces fuel burn by automating an optimal engine to idle descent. The descent profile optimization function, which comes as an update to the A320's flight management system, enables the A320 to, to descend from cruise altitude using only idle engine thrust, says Airbus. That can avoid pilots having to throttle up to level off, as they typically now do at various stages during the descent. Airbus will be delivering uh, the updates, which come in equipment kits, uh, oh, I thought they'd come on USB drives, but anyway, uh, to LATAM before year end, with deliveries to wrap up in early 2022. 
The Toulouse airframer says some 200 of LATAM's A320 CEO family jets will get the update. The airline and its affiliates have some 240 A320 family jets in service and storage according to Serum Fleet's data. Airbus offers the system as a software update for first generation CEOs A320s and A330s, second generation A320 NEOs and A330 NEOs are delivered with the technology. Some 100 uh, Airbus jets globally have already received the update, the airframer says. Uh, the company says it's taking, or talking, uh, I should say, with other customers about adopting the technology, but it declines to specify which airlines. Airbus says the new technology can save an average of 70 kilos or 154 pounds of fuel per flight. That equates to more than 20,000 tonnes of fuel saved annually for the TAMS A320s. Wow. Nice. Well, airlines are always happen to save money. <laughs> and we all know fuel costs a fortune. Well, yeah. We do at the moment in the UK. Oh, don't. And um, yeah, this is obviously, I hope these updates go well though, because we all, always, or we all know, um, especially, you know, what happens when you update certain bits of software. Oh. I mean, I'm guessing they're not having to queue for three hours for fuel like I am at the moment, are they? <laughs> no, oh, no, not at all. Yes, I'm not even joking, guys. I, I last night, oh, sat blimey. at a petrol station. I arrived at five past seven. <sighs> he did. And, I, and, I, and did. I left the fuel station, finally with my allotted £45, which is all they'd let me have worth of diesel, and I left at ten past ten. You did. <sighs> anyway, the joys of living in the middle of nowhere. I know. Uh, right, shall I do the last story then? Do you want to do the last yeah, one? Yeah, I will. Yeah, okay. So the last this, story this then. This last story stinks, I tell you. <laughs> right. Um, okay, uh, headline is Extraordinary Pigs Step In to Protect Schiphol Airport from Marauding Geese. <laughs> Wow, so this is from the theregister.com. Uh, and it says in red here, to be read with disdain for geese at behest of author Matt uh, Dupoy. Mm. <laughs> nice. An unlikely battle is currently going on between the runways of one of Europe's busiest airports after a company called Extraordinary Pigs were contracted to bring their animals in to help protect Amsterdam Schiphol's airport from marauding geese. It occupies a vast site on reclaimed land and often has a lot of standing water, which makes an appealing spot for birds to roost and forage for food. The airport site's origins also make it good farmland, uh, meaning that a lot of the surrounding area and some of the airport site, is, which is not under concrete, is used to grow crops. Unfortunately, the crops entice more birds, which are obviously not good uh, things to attract at an airport. It in an, excuse me, sorry. In an attempt to deter the avian infiltrators, the pigs were set up in a 500-acre, that's 202 hectares, sugar beet field between two of the airport's six runways immediately after it was harvested, when geese and other birds would normally be descending on the leftover scraps and critter-rich overturned exposed soil. 20 pigs will be... Um, put on the site for six weeks while a second similar area of land will be left 
Pig Free as a control site. Uh, special bird detecting radar will monitor the two sites in order to see whether the pig's presence has made a discernible difference to airport safety. Uh, the pigs were immediately brought into the field within 12 hours of the sugar beet harvest on Tuesday. Uh, Joss Harris, uh, the pig's owner and proprietor of... Um, Oh, Beta One Wa- Varkens, extraordinary pigs. Uh, that's a terrible. Somebody, somebody will connect me, uh, correct me, either Myla or Masher. Probably, I'm sure yeah. will, will will put me right. Uh, told uh, Dutch paper to Telegraph, uh, and uh, they eat the crop residues uh, so that there will be nothing left for the geese to get. That said, a reg uh, a, a reg source who was at Schiphol at the weekend noticed plenty of lush grasses near the runways, but failed to spot any pigs. Schiphol has a particular problem with bird strikes. Uh, Dutch flag carrier KLM reported 6.6 bird strikes per 10,000 aircraft movements in 2019. Schiphol employs 20 bird controllers who patrol the aircraft in radar-equipped vehicles named lapwings and provide air traffic control with bird updates using walkie-talkies. They also employ innovative techniques and technology to scare birds away, including special green lasers that frighten geese. Geese are a particular problem at the airport with over 7,000 of the cranky, belligerent fowl. Wow, this this bereverent fowl. This guy really doesn't like them. uh, Rounded up and killed in 2014 alone. Another bird deterrent methods include the planting of coarse and indigestible grasses and the use of nets, gas cannons and inflatable scarecrows. But while people chasing birds around with uh, specially equipped cars can mitigate the problem somewhat, ultimately the airport authorities would prefer it were if it were left uh, if there were just fewer birds in the vicinity and especially geese because they can be they can potentially bring down an aircraft if they interact in the wrong place um so it uh so it's it is that this herd of heroic pigs have stepped in to separate these beaked trespassers from their jet engined nemesis <laughs> uh good on you pigs we are at we at the register which is the source that this came from salute you uh, now you may have noticed a certain degree of anti-goose sediment on the reg desk today and you would not be wrong this scribe suffered a rather nasty incident with some geese when he was a youngster and it was it's left him with the unshakable feeling that all geese can get bent wherever they may be <laughs> Matt, I think you missed an excellent opportunity a couple yes. times in that story to switch into your uh, what is it, uh, Richard Attenberry? Attenberry. Oh, I, I, and here, and here we see uh, geese Cranky marauding across the. Yeah, absolutely. It's as I say. It's a uh, Matt Matt Dupoy who is the the writer of that particular article. As I say, he's re- he's really not a fan. I think that that we have learnt. Do you think this is what you what we have to do now with obviously people trying to cut back on money, spending money at airports? You know they used to use um, or they sort of like uh, birds of prey to get rid of, you know. Oh yeah, other, falconry. Uh, falconry. That's it. Thank you, Armando. <laughs> um, so they can't afford them. So what's the next best thing? Pigs. I mean, just I'm, I mean, all I can think of is all that bacon. If I'm honest, but anyway, um, <laughs> Mark Priestley has said it uh, via WhatsApp. Is this a truth? Or or pigs might fly gaff. 
No, it's not. It's not April. It's not April. Don't panic. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. Which one of these story, these eleven stories that we just yeah. read, is not right? Is not real. He's not the real one. I like Richard That's Adams' it. comment in the um, uh, chat room. He says, uh, um, "Be be uh, be more fun if they sorted these geese out with a warthog." Obviously, ah. talking about uh, the A10 warthog, uh, which uh, would make quite some mess if that sorted the geese out. Mm. Trust me. Oh, I, don't know. I think we should just let Alfie loose, and you could make a lot of. Alfie money. would do a damn good job, I think, actually, of um, of getting rid of the geese. What my Alfie? Yeah, yeah. just what, bark at them all the time. The, 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 we're talking about a dog here who hides under Mum's chair, like like for anything, like like literally. Apart from when I walk through the back door, yeah, he... actually, well, no, that's because he knows you. But if you yeah. were an actual burglar, he'd be the first one upstairs away from it. I can assure you of that. Okay. He's the worst guard dog in the world ever. Anyway, so that is where yes. we bring the mix of commercial and news stories to a close this week, and we have got to say goodbye to Armando oh, as well because boom. he's got to head off. Uh, to do something incredibly exciting, I expect, well, as always. Been... <laughs> well, incredibly important. Incredibly important, yeah, absolutely. yes. Well, it is. I have to I have to go pick up Maddie because we are going to go camping this weekend <gasps> at <gasps> at an airfield. So oh, well, okay. he, here I in the US. Known. <laughs> I know, right? Last week we talked a little bit about feeling normal going back to air shows. And, and part of that has been some of these local fly-ins. Right. And... Um, here on the East Coast, Triple Tree Aerodrome is a grass airstrip, and they had their big fly-in last weekend with, I think, a couple hundred airplanes and a couple thousand people that showed up. It's all outdoors. Um, and our local airport where we do skydiving is having their um, fly-in tomorrow uh, all day long. So what we're going to do is is I'm going to go pick up Maddie from school. Uh, we're going to go shopping, and we're going to go camping in a hangar and just wow. hang out overnight until the airplanes start landing in the morning and then we're just gonna oh wow uh, run around and eat some barbecue and wait hang on a minute can i come yeah (laughs) so we we get a field in the middle of nowhere here full of cow pats and flies that bite the hell out of you armando gets well gets a hanger with aircraft and quite absolutely you know i mean it's it's how it (laughs) should be i'll take some pictures and and we'll uh, we'll Send them out to Absolutely. Thanks for that. Well, okay. have, have a great Absolutely, weekend. Guys. Have a great weekend. Take care, y'all. Yeah, take care. Bye, Armando. Now, I'm super... I, I, I am so excited about what's coming up next, and uh, Nev is going to tell us all about it. Yes, I am. Well, when we do these big interviews, because we don't know much about aviation ourselves, when we've got someone important to interview, we tend to subcontract this we do. to <laughs> someone that does. And I can think of the Richard, uh, Sir Richard John's interview, mm. uh, Captain John Hutchinson interview, and this interview, which we have uh, subcontracted to Captain Nick, because he knows what he's talking about. Well, he mm. tells us he does anyway. <laughs> Those are the rumours, uh, yes. But this is going to be the first, oh, I think, about a three-part series, I hope, and we'll probably put up on the youtube channel as a separate piece as well but uh nick and i went down uh in the cars the other day filled up with uh, petrol diesel and equipment uh, <laughs> to bring you this interview uh well below knee amputee uh, mike wildman leads team phoenix which flies the super yak 52 aircraft mike's background is that of a tactical c-130 pilot with the raf and the belgian air force he saw active service in the first gulf war 
Bosnia, Bosnia, Somalia and Rwanda. For the last 25 years, Mike has been an airline pilot serving as an Airbus A330 and Air3, A340 uh, commander with Virgin Atlantic Airways and he also in fact flew alongside Captain Nick on some trips as well. Mike is also a part-time A320 type rating instructor and examiner with Wizz Air and the L3 Harris Airline Training Academy in London. Mike also led the Barders Bus Company, the UK's first disabled uh, uh, air display team, which flew a successful UK air show season in 2019. Well, Captain Nick and I met Mike at Henstridge Airport, which is located between Salisbury and Yeovil in the West Country of the UK, where Nick talked to him about his life and times as an aviator. I first met Mike on the 30th of August 1997. I was a brand new captain on the Airbus A340 and he was a very patient and able companion on only my third trip after completing my training. As I recall, we flew off to Los Angeles and promptly rented Harley Davidson Fatboy motorbikes from Route 66. You did, yeah. And uh, with a couple of our very pretty cabin crew on the pillions, we took to the hills. From then on, we regularly shared the cockpit and had adventures far and wide. Um, we were driving around the game parks in South Africa with your lovely mum, as yeah. I recall. Uh, that was a very memorable one. And I was very sorry to get the news that uh, she'd sadly passed away. Mike. Thank you. During our long hours together on the flight deck, I always enjoyed hearing about your exploits in the RAF and strange faraway places. And uh, I look forward to talking about all that again. So when I was thinking about who would make a great subject for an aviation interview, uh, the name of Mike Wildman came straight into my head. And I'm delighted that we found the time to talk. Uh, so many thanks for uh, giving us your time. Thanks, Nick. It's lovely to see you again. And I'm really looking forward to uh, talking to you today. Um, Mike, look, if I'm going to take you right back to the beginning, if I may, and we can work through your fascinating life. Um, tell us about your family. Um, mum and dad, uh, two sisters, we've all been reasonably successful in life. Um, neither my mum or my dad are with us anymore, but my dad um, was an electronics engineer, as my mum was initially, and that had a kind of uh, aviation vent, and I think that's where my interest initially came from, because my father was um, managing director of a company called Penny and Giles, and they made the first um, black boxes in the UK um, for Concorde and British Airways and all sorts of jets. And I think we might have even flown with them in uh, in our Virgin Atlantic airplanes. So uh, from uh, an early uh, stage, I was in an environment uh, with airplanes, and certainly we used to go to uh, Farnborough and places like that every year through Dad's company. Uh, my mum was a cytologist, so basically she she uh, studied uh, cancer smears and uh, that sort of stuff. Um, two sisters, one of them is uh, Chief Financial Officer for Siemens Europe um, mm. and the other uh, had a great career as, uh, in HR, Group HR Director, so we've all done reasonably well. Well that's uh, brilliant. Um, what was your life like growing up? I had a lovely idyllic life, lived, lived on the south coast in a place called Highcliffe near the Christchurch Bournemouth area. Um, Happy at school, did pretty well, played for the football team, played for the, the captain of the tennis team. Um, 
initially I was in the boys brigade growing up and I've always liked being in kind of organisations. The boys brigade was a, an absolutely fantastic organisation. I was there from about eight years old. Um, but then when the flying looked like it was going to uh, become an influence in my life, then I swapped across as we do at 13 to uh, the Air Training Corps and joined the Air Training Corps at uh, 13 as well. So um, and then went through normal uh, O-levels, A-levels, um, and then eventually university. Excellent. Um, so where in your life would you position your first interest in aviation and your desire to become a pilot? I think at about 11, or 11 years old or something like that, um, Dad took me to Farnborough. And I've got a vivid, vivid memory of uh, Concorde getting airborne. And we were in the chalets, and so we were quite far back from the line. Um, but I can remember the earth shaking with those four afterburners in as it got airborne and just being completely mesmerised and hooked by it. And that's kind of my earliest, God, I want to be a flight, my pilot memory. Um, and so when I could join the uh, Air Training Corps at 13, I did that. I went through that sort of process. Um, as I recall, and you might have done a similar thing, they had something called um, tests in advance for the RAF, which you could take at about 15, which I did and passed. And then they allowed you to go and visit Air Force bases. And I think I visited about three or four for the weekend uh, around the country. So by that stage, I was completely and utterly you know, taken. But there was only ever one thing I ever wanted to do. That's brilliant. I, I have a similar memory of uh, being on the runway at Bristol Filton uh, on an uh, Air Training Corps camp, sitting on the grass uh, beside the runway in the sunshine when one of the prototypes of Concorde took off and uh, having spent an hour or two waiting in the glorious sunshine and absolute quiet, the ear-splitting noise of that aeroplane was incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And the whole, it, literally, um, I was lucky enough to see a, a shuttle launch once and it was a similar thing where the, the ground actually physically shook and that was remarkable. Brilliant. Yeah. So you'd already made up your mind to join the Air Force. How did that all go? Um, up and down. Um, I went to the RAF at 18 after my A-levels went all the way through the aptitude uh, tests, etc and the interviews at Biggin Hill as it was in those days. Passed them all but then was told that I didn't have the level of maturity required so I went off to university. Hard to imagine isn't it Nick? Um, <laughs> so I went to university. Halfway through university I applied for a bursary um, which was where they pay for some of your costs did the entire selection procedure again, passed it all, was still told that um, they didn't think my level of maturity was high enough. So um, I did a four-year degree, it was a business studies degree, which I didn't particularly want to do, but I just had to go and get a degree because they hadn't taken me on. So I was working for a company in Bournemouth um, as a kind of trainee a systems analyst, and they, it was for Max Factor, you know them? Perfect oh yeah, Max Factor. Yeah, anyway, they, they had a downturn and made 30% of the workforce uh, unemployed, including me. Um, at that stage I was working behind the bar at Bournemouth Flying Club um, just because I wanted to be around aeroplanes. Um, I went back to my boss at Bournemouth Flying Club and said I need a job for the next nine months. Um, it needs to look like it's some, something sensible. So we said that I was going to install a computer system but in fact I was cleaning and refuelling the aeroplanes every day. <laughs> but what it meant is that um, I could work and get one hour's flying a week. So I did one hour's flying a week for nearly six months and then I worked nights in a warehouse um, to get money to live. So I was working seven days a week, um, day and night, but it gave me uh, a chance to get my PPL. I did that for six months and then I was really lucky that a company at Bournemouth, which is now called Draken, 
and was Cobham, but was then Flight Refueling Limited, paid for an Air League flying scholarship. I won a flying scholarship through the Air League, and um, then I was suddenly able to finish the whole thing in about you know um, six weeks flat, flying every day, um, and that was marvellous. So in my year out in, in industry, I managed to go away and get a PPL. Um, so when I came back at the end of university, went back to the Air Force for the third time, um, either they were impressed with that or they were just tired of me keep coming back but uh, eventually they offered me a job. I think persistence often yeah, pays. I think it does, yeah. So they eventually let you in, yeah, presumably did. you did uh, pretty standard uh, officer training, was that at Henlow or? No, it was IOT at Cranwell, I did that. Oh, you um, posh boy. Oh, I was very posh. And then um, we held, which was uh, a lot of us did in those days, and I had a year's holding uh, one fighter squadron at Wittering, which was just fantastic. Um, I was called Kev because their first um, uh, holding pilot years before had been called Kev and after that every holding pilot was called Kev. <laughs> um, but what it did mean is I got lots and lots of backseat rides in T4 Harriers. In fact, oh wow, I had I think I had 50 hours on the Cessna 152. Um, the Air Force needed to get rid of some time expired thousand pound bombs at Garvey Island. And I ended up in the backseat of a T4 Harrier dropping bombs on Garvey Island with 50 hours in a, in a um, Cessna 152. So it's amazing the sort of opportunities you get you know, when you're going through flying training. That sort oh, of thing. absolutely. They took you under their arm, did they? They did. It was, it was wonderful. And this was in 85. The squadron had been at war in 82 in, in, uh, down in the Falklands. And lots of the guys who'd seen operational service down there were still there. So it was just a fantastic time. Oh, I'm, I, I imagine you were just soaking up oh, those waters. It was amazing, stories. yeah. So after that, I went back to Cranwell again, and I did my uh, initial flying training and leading for fast jets on the Jet Forest 5. Uh, so I was lucky that I didn't have to fly the, the JP3, which apparently was uh, a challenge. I, I found it interesting. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure. So I was lucky I went straight into that. So I did a year and a half at Cranwell, was streamed onto the Hawk, uh, went off to Valley um, and completed the Hawk course, got my wings at Valley. Uh, went off to Chivna, which we called Heaven in Devon, do you remember that? Mm, yeah, I went to Brody myself. Did you? Yeah, we yeah. had two, two tactical weapons units. I went there and that's where the wheels started to come off a bit. Um, I don't think I was aggressive enough for them. Um, and when we got to the air combat phase, basically I kept getting shot down, Nick, which is probably something <laughs> you've never heard of, but um, it happened to me quite a lot. And so at that stage, um, I was working pretty hard, um, not enjoying it anymore. And uh, basically we decided to, uh, uh, to call it quits then. Um, and I went off to fly multi-engine airplanes, which probably wasn't a bad thing. I ended up being a below average, instead of being a below average, uh, fast jet pilot, I was above average uh, multi-engine pilot, so probably not a bad thing. I was very lucky and I was, uh, off before that, again, another holding, section of holding. Yeah, did a bit of that myself. But uh, uh, Lee and uh, they had an uh, air experience flight on flying chipmunks. Oh, and wow. I had a year doing aerobatics flying chipmunks um, again. So how lucky was I as a 25-year-old guy? So. Got that, got my uh, enjoyment in uh, and, and interest in, in aerobatics sort of started, I think. Uh, then went off um, and was posted to Lynham to uh, C-130 Hercules. Um, and again, just really, really lucky. Uh, I was in the right place at the right time as far as the golf ball was concerned. But the C-130 was just such a fabulous plane. They were massively overpowered. Well, we had the stretch version because it had much more carrying capability than it had actual 
um, space to carry the freight. So from, from a, a carrying point of view, so it was overpowered, uh, which meant it was great fun to fly. Uh, I was on a uh, tactical squadron, which meant we did do the flying around the world at low speed, um, uh, going to parties sort of thing, the, 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 the grand green party machine. I remember going to Hong Kong and it took us three days to get there. And when you think that on the 340, it was 11 hours, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, so lots of f fun flying around the world, but also um, the, the main squadron's task there was uh, support of the um, parachute battalion. And so the idea is that you'd get up to 16 aircraft uh, flying in formation um, and then have a parallel drop zone where eight would be dropping 600 guys. And on the other side of, of the uh, landing zone, you'd be dropping small tanks, vehicles, uh, ammunition, all the stuff that's required. So you could effectively drop an entire battalion and its equipment in, in something like a, a minute and a half over, over an airfield. Um, and that was very exciting as well. Um, the guys, we, we'd fly around at sub 250 feet, then pop up to 500 feet and drop the guys out. And when you think these guys were flying with no reserve, uh, the parachutists were jumping out with no reserve from 500 feet. Wow. Um, yeah, and, and they, they were expecting something like, you know, 1% casualty rate. Well, when you're dropping 600 guys, that's five or six guys every time getting Gosh. injured or killed. So uh, it was very operational um, and very enjoyable. What was the Herc like flying in formation? Well, this was done in something called, we, I flew it a lot more later in Belgium in close formation, but this was in some, uh, we had something called ski, which was station keeping equipment. And it was a, a between kind of, a transponder element and a radar element and we'd be flying around in a kind of stretched formation of 16 um, and then you had a radar screen at the front and you could see where the, the blip in front of you was and, and you had a timing chart and you, it was all done and timing um, but we were flying so the idea is that you fly around in the 16 ship um, if you went into what bad a big weather long snake? yeah big long snake wow. but um, and then uh, if you went IMC you all pulled up to MSA to safety altitude uh, in formation, in cloud, in cloud, um, <laughs> flew the rest of the route until there was a gap, and then you went back down. And so, yeah, and, and sometimes you'd be flying around in cloud, and suddenly it would clear, and there'd be aircraft everywhere. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and I don't remember, but yeah, similar age to me, um, there used to be a TV program called Ski Sunday. Oh yeah, and it was this stuff was called ski, and we always used to go do it on, on the weekends. So it was always a Ski Sunday was a sixteen ship uh, of C one thirties. So that was that was fabulous fun. Um, the Herc also was was great because um, it had so many roles. We were trained in um, both. We weren't a tanker squadron that was on the other side of the airfield, but we, we were trained to receive and air-to-air -air, uh, refueling. We did uh, obviously all the tactical stuff, but also search and rescue. So the the tasking was was really really interesting as well. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. That you weren't just involved in training, you actually took part in operations. So yes, we did. you were in the first Gulf War, yeah? Yeah, we, we were. Um, and that was that was interesting. We um, uh, shipped out to Riyadh initially, um, and uh, we were based out there for a, a number of months and a few other airfields as well. Um, and uh, again, flying uh, Various missions, sometimes you know, um, behind enemy, enemy lines. There was there was, there was some interesting stuff. Going. Were you involved in dropping our special troops back there? Uh, a little bit of that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was that was interesting. Um, and I was explaining to somebody the other day, it was in the embryonic stage of uh, GPS. So we didn't really have GPS. We had we had 
an iron asset well didn't work very well gps was just about coming in and we were flying around you know over the desert at low level using a map and a stopwatch and, and maps that had come from you know uh, from 30 or 40 years before and and you'd be flying along and suddenly there'd be a six lane highway come below you and there's nothing on the map um so it was it was uh yeah very interesting time um, were you out there as single ships or in formations as single ships Okay, yeah. so you were completely lights out, and yep. what kind of defensive equipment had they given you? Um, we had uh, jamming pods, and we had um, we had uh, chaff and flare as well on some okay. of the airplanes, not on the main squadron airplanes. So they were kind to you, yes, sort of. They were sort of, <laughs> yeah. Exciting stuff. So you were also out, out in Bosnia. Yeah. Similar sort of work out there. Well, that was interesting because by that stage, I'd been I'd come home, and I'd um, been lucky enough to get an exchange with the. Belgian Air Force. Oh, okay. So this Excellent. was with the Belgian government, and um, uh, they were inserting special forces. Uh, if you remember at the time in Sarajevo, mm. um, people were getting shot crossing the road by snipers. Oh, absolutely. And, it was awful, wasn't and it? so our job was to sort of take some people in and, and try and resolve the situation. Uh, but that was quite quite hairy. I remember one particular time when you know we flew in and we landed these guys, and they were walking mortars crump 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 across the airfield towards the airplane knowing that they couldn't really do any major damage they were just basically playing with our balls sort of thing. wow um and that was that was quite something yeah 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 absolutely yeah um i know one of the stories i remember you telling me because i think we were probably on a lagos trip and talking about malaria was oh, that yeah. you'd been out doing uh, humanitarian um aid missions yeah. out in africa um, and I know that you caught a, a, a deadly form of malaria out there, but can you just tell us the whole story? Yeah, I was out in um, Mombasa, flying in and out of Somalia, which we could talk about uh, a bit later on. Um, and somehow, well, obviously I got, I got um, uh, bitten by a, a, a female, as you do, because it's only the females <laughs> that carry malaria, I don't know if you know it. Um, and I caught something called falciparin. Um, there's two lots of malaria. Um, one which keeps coming back, which isn't so serious, but uh, falciparin is you know, three days coma, four days death. It's that quick. I came back to Belgium. I um, was feeling, it's got about a two week incubation period. Came back, was feeling desperately, desperately sick. Um, went to see uh, the doctors at Supreme Headquarters Allied Powers Europe. Saw an American doctor who said that she thought there was nothing wrong with me. She sent me home. I came back the next day because I was so ill unfortunately there was a british doctor there who'd been down in belize and done the uh, um, tropical medicine course and said i think it could be malaria i was airlifted to vegberg on day three where i did go into a coma um, and they i survived they saved me so uh, one of my many near-death experiences nick <laughs> <laughs> the first few. of many you've had a few yes, absolutely that, that, yeah. that is terrifying because it, it was only really uh, your story there that made me so aware of it and i think um you know, our union did a great job getting us some decent protection from that when we Indeed. used to fly to these Absolutely. places. Because yeah. I think Nigeria was second on the list of the worst areas in the world. For yeah, and that. a couple of our pilots did actually get falciparin, I know. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the man with um, with nine lives is the first thing that springs, mm. to, springs into mind there. Actually, I'd like to point out, I mean, I wasn't there. Obviously, Nev was there. I'd like to point out that wasn't a green screen no. behind no. Uh, Nick. <laughs> no, I mean, that must have been so nice as well. Because, I mean, obviously, the last set of interviews that we did, obviously, um, with... Um, 
oh, I've forgotten already. Anyway, because well, he was in Australia, wasn't he? And, yeah. we, and we did it down the line. And the, the I mean, that that was fine. But it must have been so nice, uh, Nev, to, to sort of like do it in person. Yes, very much so. And, and Mike's a, f- a fascinating character, and I really enjoyed listening to uh, Nick's uh, chat with him. And mm. uh, yeah, we've got another couple of parts coming up as well uh, when I've edited those. So uh, yeah, really looking forward to it. But a fascinating story from Mike. Mm. Um, and obviously, Mike's organisation relies heavily on sponsorship and assistance from other companies as well. So um, let's just play a quick video of uh, Mike telling us how we can get in touch with him. Mike, uh, if someone did want to get in touch with you, how would they go about that? Um, best way would be through the website, and that's teamphoenixair.com, and that's Phoenix, P-H-O-E-N-I-X, so teamphoenixair.com. Uh, my email address is there, but also you could call me on my telephone number. The UK cell number is plus four four seven nine seven three seven six two three zero one. Brilliant. Thanks. Absolutely. I'm sure they'd be grateful if anybody has uh, uh, is, uh, got a bit of sp- uh, spare change. I'm sure they'd be very grateful. Mike's for... a brave man putting his phone number out. But, he uh, is. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true I, that. <laughs> but genuinely speaking, if anybody is interested in uh, sponsorship mm. with them or has contacts in that kind of area, then please get in contact with Mike um, mm. because uh, I think it's an incredibly worthwhile yeah. cause. In, in the next uh, couple of parts, we're talking a bit more about uh, Mike's disability and also uh, the formation flying that they do uh, with the uh, Yak 52 aircraft mm. as well. So, and of course, yeah. of course, it goes without saying, obviously, our uh, extra special personal thanks to the, the legend that is Captain Nick yeah. for, uh, for running the interview as well. And for you, Nev, obviously, because I say that, that well done. Beautiful, looks well beautiful, done, it really does. Really, really good. Well oh, done, team. Really, yeah, very look. good place. And the sun was shining too. So that I know, good. and it was a horrendous uh, day here yeah. when you were up there filming it. <laughs> yeah. I, we, we honestly had visions of you doing it from inside a hangar. The weather was so bad. So I, I personally does. think that both, uh, both Nev and Nick should be working on a large um, media outlet Right um, station, um, because some okay. of the, some of the stuff that we we're seeing on the TV nowadays right. okay. is not of this standard. I will say. Well, there is I'm not, that. not just yeah, blowing no, blowing our no. own trumpet here Indeed. on BTUK, but I'm just you know putting it out there. Indeed. Yeah. Anyway, come on, we're going to run out so of time soon. Next up, then on the show is our caption. This is it just for fun? Is it? So, those of you who follow I don't think us, it is. I think you're wrong there, sir. Sorry about oh, that. Oh, is it? Pi- oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm jumping, jumping ahead here. What are you doing? (laughs) I'm jumping ahead here. Okay, next up, we hand things over to Nev, uh, which uh, for those of you tuned in last week, which I did, I listened to it as Mm. an audio podcast, which is weird, actually. I listened to last week's show as an audio podcast, not a video. Did you? Yeah, which is really weird for me. Oh, okay. (laughs) It's good, though. It's it's different when you listen back. I'm glad you you enjoyed it. (laughs) You would have heard the awesome interview uh, with uh, with pitch air so nev uh, what's this uh, what's this second part then yeah we're, we're going back into the uh, in this into the 727 uh, which is sitting in pitch air's car park with me talking to uh, johnny palmer uh, about how he got it there and the circumstances surrounding it so this will be a fascinating part two of the interview going right back to your early days yeah. uh when did you when did you start the business and, and how did it come to to get to where it is today uh so i'm involved in a few businesses are we talking about pitch here mm. fine so um start out with audio at nine years old love sound 
just love it. Got some old hi-fi equipment that I got from the rubbish dump in Tasmania and started doing more and more increasingly elaborate, bizarre things with hi-fi and then got into DJing because I like sound systems. Why not DJ, right? <laughs> and then I uh, became quite commercial with my DJing, made money, bought more equipment and then built a production company. Then I uh, became an adult and started realizing that production's about delivering messages. So I used all that technical and creative resource to start delivering messages for, for clients. Yeah. And when did you come to the UK? Uh, 98. Yeah, yeah. excellent. Yeah. And how different... I don't know what airplane I was in there. What, what would that have been? Well, that could have been uh, probably 747, I would imagine. It wasn't though, because I remember it had two stories. It was from Melbourne to Kuala Lumpur, A3... Oh, that, that could A330? have been the uh, 330 or 340, probably, yeah, yeah? or yeah. 777, maybe. Could have been, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Hmm. Um, but uh, did you get back uh, uh, under normal circumstances? Would you get back there? I've been back to Australia three times in 20 something years. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Bris home. Bristol's home. I Your home's here now, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Just going back to the aircraft that, that we're sitting on, yeah. uh, how much work did you have to do to, to get it into the shape that it's in uh, now? Okay, so when it turned up here, it smelt like a caravan. There was mold on the roof and nothing worked. So first thing was, obviously, let's get the internet working. So that was pretty quick and easy. Then it was the lighting. Um, then the cleaning. I reckon I've probably spent, personally, several hundred hours on it. And I think the team overall probably spent over a thousand hours on this aircraft to make it what it is now. And we're not finished, not even close. Now, the last time I saw you, which was uh, several yeah. weeks ago, we were having a nice chat. Yeah. The next thing I noticed is that a skylight has been uh, cut into the, uh, the roof. Uh, is that a new addition? Yeah, the skylight's yeah. a new addition. I mean, looking at it now, it looks like, yeah, no big deal. Nah, it was. And getting on the roof with a jigsaw and a hole saw cutting into an aeroplane, that was a weird experience. And um, I'll admit, I'll admit, I um, drilled the hole in the wrong place as well. <laughs> oh, fantastic. So I went out to go a little bit nuts on the, um, on the silicon, um, yeah, and the flashing band. How difficult was that to, to drill through there? Uh, well, the skin of the aircraft, as you probably know, very thin. I mean, more than a Coke can, but definitely not plate steel. Must have been about a millimetre or two. Then with a very thin, I think, fiberglass um, insulation. Um, and that's between um, structural ribs, because it's a monocoque structure, of course. Yeah. So you've got to find the position for that. Find your position, drill a hole through, and then drill your hole around it to put the skylight through. Gosh. I know, it's fun. And did it come with any sort of mechanical operation manuals or, or anything like that? No, there's a story um, that apparently, when it was still airworthy back in 2012 at Filton Airfield, of all places up the road, um, some bills weren't paid, so all the paperwork went missing. And that apparently was the cause for it not flying again. Is that right? Apparently. So I'm hearing. I'm hearing all sorts of rumours online. Fantastic. I invite any new rumours, even if they're not entirely true. It's all well, stories. when you write your book, it's got to be in there, isn't it? <laughs> Definitely. We're trying to start some start some rumours about the aeroplane. It's good fun. Yeah, fun. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's such a delightful place to be, isn't it? And also, from the, the acoustics are fantastic, aren't they? They are good. They were very into making it very quiet. They called it the whisper jet, didn't mm, they, in the yeah. 60s? Um, interestingly, the heat insulation is very poor because when you're blasting in um, uh, bleed air, you're not really worried about heat. If anything, you're trying to cool it down. So the heat insulation is very poor, but the yeah. sound insulation is very good. Interesting. Which is not what I would have thought. No, indeed. And yeah. what, what's your client's impressions when they, when they come on board? Uh, I'd like to think that they feel inspired and like engaged. I actually think they're not surprised and they just roll their eyes. And they go, oh, Johnny's doing something wacky kind of again. Almost so. what they'd expect. Yes. Yeah, that's good fun. It's good fun. It's a great environment. And I also think psychologically, when we get on an airplane, we're used to being on a plane. Our phone's not accessible. We have to settle in for a bit of like a trip. And I think psychologically, our subconscious tunes into that same thing on board pitch air. Mm. So people come here, they calm down. They're very receptive. 
conversations that might normally be 20 minutes become an hour and a half, much more human, much more memorable. Yeah. So I think in a weird way, it becomes a, actually a perfect meeting space. And of course, they've been used to Teams and Zoom conversations mm -hmm. for, for the last 18 months, yeah. which for the first month was you know very interesting and exciting. But now it's just become horrific because you've got that hard stop at, at three o'clock or, or whatever it is now. Which you, can be a good thing sometimes. That is true. Yeah. But at the moment, we've got people going, oh, it's you know 1.59, I've, I've got to stop. Um, but when they're in a relaxed environment like they are here, mm. it really does encourage more lengthy conversations, doesn't it? Yeah, and often a bit of a 20 minute, so like, you know, what do you do for fun? I find myself socially using tricks like saying, so what are you into? And then it's being quiet and letting them talk for 10 minutes, which is really nice, you know? After a world of not being able to have really human connections that much, just let people talk and just chat and find out, you know, dance around conversations a bit, which is kind of nice. You find the real essence of what people are passionate about in their work or their businesses, and it's, it's so much more fun. I remember the first time we met just a few weeks ago. Yeah. Question number one was, yeah. apart from we're going to get down the road to get some breakfast, was, oh, you know, how many kids have you got? How are they? And that kind of stuff. And so straight away, I've got to start talking because um, that's the way you do it, isn't it? I think yeah. it's a lot better. Whereas if we met in the office just over there, um, it'd be much more cool. Do you want a coffee? Cool. What are we talking about? Gender? Go. You know? Um, and it'd be bish, bosh, bash. And all that might use less time. I actually think there's less value in that communication and less return from that time investment because um, you're not really getting any deeper connection or you're finding out the real thing that's going on with someone, which is might be the, the area that you're working. Yeah. So what's going to be next for the aircraft? It's where it is. It seems to be very complete from what I can see. What, what are you going to do next to it? I want to just keep pushing the boundaries more and more to the point of ridiculous with the tech in here. So we're doing some crazy stuff with multi-circuit power metering so we can start analysing where our power usage is. I've just reinstated the ventilation system. I want to start playing with circulating MVHR air systems. I want to do more with the audio as well. Um, just playing with different tech. Because for me, this is the perfect test bed to try things that I might then roll up to my commercial property investments. So we can try things here and see if we apply them to other properties as well. And you've got a lot of vendor buy-in as well, haven't you? I mean, certainly for, you know, the company I work for, Biamp, uh, we're very much up for it. I know the folks at Midwich are as well. Um, was that a very easy win uh, to get these folks on board? Well, I've been reading about influencers. You know, people on Instagram, because they've got 20,000 followers, they get free hotel rooms. I'm like, that's interesting. I thought, I think we've got a bit of a, you know, bit of a voice in doing weird stuff technically. Maybe I should just say, hey, guys, I'm doing some stuff. Anyone want to get involved in your deal? And then buy app, come back with a bunch of, like, amazing toys and are happy to give them to us, just, I, I believe, for the, for the exposure and the funny storytelling. So I'm like, this is good. I've now said to the team here at Pitch, do interesting stuff, guys, and let your supply chain know because they might love to get involved, be it just, you know, lending us a bit of toys or never know, giving us some kit every now and again. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, engage with the supply chain. It's a lot more fun as well. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Is there anything else you want to talk about uh, uh, whilst we haven't come? I want to talk about who's got operational 727s who will let me get in the jump seat. So how are we going to get you into an operational 727, Johnny? So there's a few operational around the world. We've got the, the chaps from Oil Spill, yeah? We've been in contact, guys. I'm waiting for that phone call. Um, Matt Goad out at 0G in the, in the States. Matt, I'm here. Uh, I really want to get in a 727 that flies. Um, how are we going to do it? Maybe someone watching has, has got one. Uh, if they call me anytime, day or night, I will be there. So I understand that you ended up being a flight engineer on one. Is that correct? Sort of. So Mark, who sold me this one, has got two more, one of which has engines. And I said, Mark, anytime you're doing something, I just, just give me a call. And one day Mark said, oh, Johnny, you, you're around next week. Come along. And I was like, yeah, cool. And I got to be the flight engineer um, in a taxiing operation for the day. It was awesome. I got wow. to fire up the APU. I got to turn on the, the bleed air valves. 
got to switch the generator switch. My hand got slapped at one point though, because I nearly went from the um, generator one to the ground power switch. Right. You know what happened then, right? <laughs> yes. The power would cut out. <laughs> and Mark's hand has whacked me away. Um, that was fun. And he took it out into the runway at Kemble just to do some engine checks. And, you know, engine one at a time, full power, and geez, this thing wanted to take off. Yeah, and I was right. like, are you not just tempted to just turn that brake and just... Yeah. yeah. And of course, the panel, we just don't see that panel now mm. on any aircraft. Cool. I mean, you know, that, that's all gone. Yeah. And it's all handled by, by the two pilots and the overhead panel. So to actually have a seated position there is fantastic. And from it? what I gather from some of the old flight engineers, the job wasn't that intense for a lot of them. It was a bit, you know, pedo heat, window heat. When do yeah, we eat, is um, the phrase I'm hearing. Um, monitoring the two fellas up front, make sure they're not making a mistake, perhaps. Yeah, there seems well. to be an interesting dynamic across the three-person flight crew. Yeah. From what I gather, there's a bit of, bit of rivalry almost. I or think some, so. And they yeah. also did sort of uh, pilot incapacitation where they changed seats um, uh, okay. so the flight engineer could fly the aircraft. Right. Um, but, you know, wasn't massively practiced at it because that wasn't his normal position. I reckon I could do it on my own. I'd love to get into a simulator of a 727 and just see, you know, can I fly this thing on my own? I reckon I could. I think you probably could. Do you yeah. reckon? Yeah. Where would it go wrong though? Because they must have had three people for a reason, right? And I've looked at the, I've read the flight um, manual and it does seem like you probably could do it on your own if you really had to. Yeah, it's a bit like having, you know, it's trying to like, trying to hang wallpaper on your own, isn't it? You know, basically. You could, but it wouldn't be a very good job. Yeah. You probably get through a lot of wallpaper. And there's a lot of fuel management and electrics management going on and that kind of stuff, which is, mm. in, a lot of it is entirely automatic. Now, I think your viewers will know that Johnny's not a qualified pilot from the things I'm coming out with. I'm sure someone would be like absolutely cringing at the things I'm saying. But would you like to be? I would love to. That'd be brilliant. Um... I'd love it if there were some simulators out there. There must have been simulators of 7.2s. Where are they? Where yeah. are they? I want, to go and, I want to go and play in one. That'd be amazing. We could always go on the one, uh, the one that used to be at Filton for Concorde. Uh, that's now at the Brooklands Museum. Is that operational? Yeah, absolutely. Really? Yeah. Is uh, it like a proper sim? As in, like, if I get it wrong, it's going to be like, you just Yeah, die. I mean, it's not a level D sim, so the thing's not moving. It's a fixed base one. But uh, no, I've flown it a couple of times. And, really? Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's a good day out. Well, everything, fuel stuff. management, the whole lot, yeah. all, all the kit. Yeah. Is it computer control? Yes, and actually, uh, compared to what it was like, because yep. in, in the old days it was a, a rather juddery camera going o over a, a landscape, yeah. uh, now yeah. all the gaming folks have got into it, and uh, it, the, the visual is so much better than the, the ones that the crews were originally trained on. Amazing, that'd be fun. I'd enjoy that a lot. But yeah, what a, a beautiful aircraft, the 7-2. I just love it. And the, uh, the electronics. I love the electromechanical nature. There's no... Um, microchips in this thing at all, I don't think. So when you open up the avionics, it is literally like big clunky relays. Solenoids, and and yes. Solenoids clunking away. Yeah. Noisy as well. They make the aircraft shake, actually, sometimes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what about spare parts? What, what happens if something goes wrong? Or what could go wrong, you know? Um, it couldn't get much worse. I mean, what would go wrong on this? A door would maybe not work. That would be a problem. Uh, we already had to fit some neoprene around the doors. That was an issue. Um, what else? I suppose any leaks? I mean, it's already 50 years old and it's, you know, not got any leaks. So, yeah, it's all pretty good, really. A lot of our viewers and listeners would be very keen, I'm sure, to acquire their own aircraft. Have you got some experience that you could pass on to them? Yeah. First thing to remember is there's actually a lot of old aircraft out there. Most of them at the point when the engines have gone and the avionics are pretty much scrap. In fact, I gather from some people that um, as scrap, they're not worth very much at all. So they are for the taking, if you know who to speak to. The challenge is the transport and the land and the planning commission. So I'd recommend that anyone who does this, get yourself some land, get planning commission, that's critical, and then um, try and find yourself a fuselage. Um, and you might be surprised that it's not as expensive as you might have thought.
Most of our viewers are married or have partners. Uh, I just wonder how that uh, works when this uh, aircraft suddenly turns up. Well, when I told my wife about this, she just was like, what are you on about, John? I was like, seriously, it's so cool. You, 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 you love it. Um, but like a lot of things I do, it's a, I have a vision that's a little bit half-baked. I know it's going to be something good, but I'm not sure what yet. So I sort of step into that wilderness and start doing the thing and see what comes of it. And then the end product is, is you know, indisputably pretty cool, I think. You know, I'm, very, I'm very proud of it. And you seem There's no modesty have... here about the aeroplane. I love it. <laughs> and you seem to have brought everybody with you as well. I mean, I'm sure yeah. maybe some of your staff were possibly a bit sceptical at the beginning. but uh, Well, I think know. in a way they're like, oh, my God, this sounds ridiculous. He won't. And they're like, but hang on, he probably will do it, actually. So let's see what's going on. So what I tried to do is get people excited in different ways and help them explore where their passions are. So some of the team here love their electronics. Like, hey, let's get involved with Susan some electronic stuff other people are interested in food and drink so let's try and you know put a good kitchen in so i tried to get more people involved in the things that they're passionate about so they can learn from because these kind of projects in on your own it's no fun it's about bringing people together and having a laugh and creating some fun stuff it's very much to me a community-based thing you know if this is just me on my own it wouldn't be fun at all they're kind of like the the jokes the humor they're kind of like sharing it together the silliness of it that's that's in a way where the value is Johnny, I've really enjoyed our chat today. Thank you very much indeed. And it's been an absolute privilege to meet you and to share the 727 with you. Well, thank you. And if there's any operational 727 um, owners out there, please uh, get in contact because I would love to come on board sometime. I think if he got himself one of those, I think his staff might lo <laughs> lo lose them. I, yeah, I don't think this is the end of the story. I think he's got something else up his sleeve, which he's not uh, letting us know. About. Right. Uh, absolutely fascinating to talk to Johnny. I'm really yeah. grateful for his time as well. And, we was, uh, yeah, really, really great. Stuff. We were saying when we were watching that, we absolutely love the seats, the the high back. Yeah, yeah. And you was, you were saying they were actually like, the, they were genuine seats from... From yeah, but when the aircraft was converted into uh, um, executive, you know, oh, VIP like a VIP, aircraft, yeah, uh, the, right. the, those seats were put in, and uh, yeah, they, they look fantastic, don't they? Yeah, so, we've, we've, yeah, and it's a nice place to be. Actually, it's a very, very nice environment to be in, uh, in sitting in those areas. Yeah, very cool. I know we've got to move on, but Nev, I've got to ask a quick question. That uh, aircraft's got a, 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 an audio system built in. I, I think as you, you said it's got an audio system all built in with speakers and stuff in there. Yes, the company I work for uh, supplied all of the uh, audio gear uh, for it. Yes. Yeah. So, am I right in thinking that if you wanted to, you you could pump you could if you could pump the ambient noise of an aircraft in flight oh, through the speakers? No. <laughs> yes, I think if you wanted to go that far, there's no I just why you it was something I thought about the other day when, I, yeah. when we watched these. I want to watch these before we we put them out live and stuff. Is that if you could put that noise because you can download that noise, you can actually download that the noise of an aircraft in flight in the cabin. Right. Okay. That's just. I mean, yeah, sure. That, uh, <laughs> that, that could be irritating if you're having a meeting, though, couldn't it? Yes, I think that might be a little frustrating. You know, the novelty will wear off oh, after okay. about one and a half minutes, if it were yeah. me. All oh, right, uh, fair enough. But uh, yeah, we won't anyway. be doing that in the PTUK studios no, no. anytime soon. Please, anyway, please don't. Moving swiftly on because we are running right on the time we are, here. We are uh, over caption time, this yeah. for those of you who follow us on social media, Facebook especially. We do a caption this every Wednesday. And we put a picture on Facebook and ask you to give us your most funniest and wittiest comments. This week, the picture I posted was very apt, very apt for the yeah. situation that we are currently having here in the UK, where we are having people filling up carrier bags and wheelie bins <laughs> and waste baskets with right. fuel yes. because of the fuel crisis we're having here. Okay. 
And uh, try Matt not to make it too political. I know. Matt please. will put the picture up on <laughs> yeah. the screen. Now, for, first things first here, Nev. I don't know if you've noticed this on the particular picture, uh, but I can't remember the last time that fuel was one thirty something. <laughs> uh, no, I think that was slightly out of date, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, just a while ago. Oh, also, yeah. I can't remember the last time I saw an SO petrol station. But anyway, that's another. That's so another, anyway, <laughs> we've had loads of comments in. Really good ones. Go on, Carlos. You, you whiz through them. I and think, the yeah. first one is from Nick, who says, "Can you please?" fold your wings at pump six <laughs> Nev yeah. what does Andy say uh, Andy says sorry that uh, sorry I thought this was a jet station oh. see what he did there yeah. <laughs> I like that yeah I think that's my favourite so uh, Stephen uh, yeah so that's where we, that, oh so that's where all the fuel went was <laughs> exactly yeah. big tanks it, yeah uh, Neil says I can't get much fuel for a buck in here buck, oh, buck in, in here, here. Buccaneer. Uh, oh, why is that, Matt? Because that's a buccaneer. Well done, Matt. Well yes, done. Uh, um, it's only because he told me just before I should. <laughs> don't tell <laughs> everyone. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, Simon, what did Simon have to say, Nev? Uh, Simon says, Pump 6, could you turn off your engine, please? You're melting next door's plant. <laughs> that was my personal favourite. Simon, <laughs> if you're listening, Simon, that was absolutely <laughs> fantastic. That's don't make me love. Paul yeah. says, who cares about the Buccaneer on the forecourt? That's the cheapest petrol I've seen in oh, ages. Is right. Where, is, Where this? is this? Yeah, good point, well made. Uh, Steve says, big coffee for big jet pilots. That, yes. That's very true. Reference that's to a large cost of coffee yeah. just in the left there. Yeah, uh, Nev, uh, what's Jake uh, got to say? Yeah, Jake says, when they said they were bringing in the army to sort the petrol crisis. <laughs> uh, Alan says, yeah. the most recent Top Gear adventure did not work out as planned. Right, indeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel says, due to the lack of tanker drivers... The British government go green with uh, go green to ease the fuel situation. Uh, uh, Stephen says uh, pumps enforced by missile defence. <laughs> they could have done with that this week. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, James says fast jet pilots scramble to fuel stations after wing commander demands aircraft must not return to base with less than half a tank of fuel. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, James, uh, so dear. <laughs> I see. Uh, I see like what you did with that. So dear, I didn't expect to see a buccaneer. Oh my word! Oh my goodness! <laughs> There's puns all over the place here. Nev. Uh, yeah, Glenn says uh, proof that a jet engine can run on diesel. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Right. Yes. Uh, David says fill her up, and could you check the oil, wipe the windscreen, and put air in tyres, please? Right, indeed. And uh, Darry says uh, goose, go around, go around, full power now. Your tail hook is not down. <laughs> my word. <laughs> big thanks to everyone who's yeah. uh i should just explain also the picture that we're that we're talking about here oh yes is, for the li- audio bit, listeners it's a bit oh dear that you better do it uh, the picture for our audio listeners is uh, an so petrol station here in the uk <laughs> uh which has a buccaneer uh jet parked on the forecourt awaiting a fill up of fuel i bet he didn't have to wait three hours for his fuel that's what richard adams said <laughs> Indeed. So a big thanks to everyone who's contributed this week to our caption this. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page next Wednesday for our next picture, uh, which you can comment on. So if you don't already, give us a like or a follow on Facebook. Check us out on Facebook Make and just sure give us a little, little like, little tick thingy. What's name? A little tick thingy. What's name? Don't forget the what's name. 
So Moving next on. part of the show, <laughs> and uh, this is our final part of the series that uh, we had with the interview with Elliot Seguin. And uh, in this last part, we go uh, get to hear Elliot's answer to the famous PTUK last question. So we have a standard question that all of the guests get asked on the show. Okay. Um, if you could fly any aircraft, past, present, future, could be military, could be commercial, could be GA, whatever you like, what would you fly? And this is coming to a guy, I don't think I'm ever going to meet somebody that's probably flown as many aircraft as you. You've flown a lot of aircraft. In fact, that would be a good second question. How many aircraft do you think you've flown? Uh, so 100 types is where I'm sitting right 100, now. wow. Which, uh, you'll meet people that have flown many more than me. Don't worry about that. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Um, that's a very romantic question. Um, I don't know how to answer it directly. I think one of my favorite things that I learned from working for Bert uh, was his ability to walk away from a, a program at the end of it, right? And sort of consistently have the eyes on the next airplane, right? Mm -hmm. I think, uh, especially as men, but uh, probably as engineers or people that own machines, it's easy to get a romantic relationship with yes. an old car yeah. or an old yeah. motorcycle. Yeah. And then you, next thing you know, you've owned it for 20 years and you don't maybe, uh, it doesn't excite you like it used to. Right. And that was the thing about working for Bert, like the program would end and I would, I've never seen a man move on to the next program so quickly. Uh, and so it's that eyes forward and then it's also not, it becomes not so much about the airplane so much as about the mission or like a milestone, right? A moment rather than being able to repeat a thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. And that lines up well with the way that I think about flying, flight yeah. test, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so that being said, um, um, I think about like uh, when Daryl Greenemeyer set the F-104 record, um, that's pretty tremendous, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, whatever it was, a thousand miles an hour, uh, whatever, 500 feet off the ground or 200 feet off the ground. <laughs> um, that's pretty amazing. And, you know, um, required a, 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 a legal effort, required a uh, piloting effort. It, it was like the physics of it were really tough. He had mm -hmm. basically couldn't sit and burner for the whole thing. He had to really be judicious about his burner as he worked through the four passes required yeah. uh, or otherwise he'd flame out uh, and then when he came off the last trap basically he was out of gas so figuring all that out from an operator standpoint uh, is difficult and interesting the experience I had doing that with the three kilometer was some of the most rewarding flying I've done so yeah. um, same thing with setting records the problem with the three kilometer is you know I think I was airborne on my last three kilometer run for 15 minutes something like that it's hard you know humans can only we only use so much of a frame rate so you can only yeah. process so much in 15 minutes mm -hmm. so speaking of records I think about uh, Dick Rutan's uh, around the world flight and the amount of like life experience that he lived in those whatever yes. eight days or whatever yeah. it was yeah that's a pretty tremendous, I mean, whatever, he's, he spent the rest of his life telling us the story. And every time I <laughs> see him... He gets to dine off that all the time. Well, every time I see him telling it, I'm like, oh, there he goes, telling it again. <laughs> but if I stop and listen for more than a couple minutes, I end up crying at the end of the story just like every other time, right? It's, right. Uh, it's such a magic story. And I think the yeah. secret is the amount of exposure as a human. You know, it's, a, it's like a frame rate problem. Um, spaceship uh, one and two, uh, you know, the idea of being in a, uh, effectively a home-built airplane mm -hmm. with, a, you know, the, the crudest of rocket motors, you know, it was a very simple rocket motor with all reversible flight controls with a, 
a very simple avionics system. I mean, uh, there's a lot of really cool stuff that goes into it. But I think maybe the thing that you're hearing from all this stuff is it's, like I said, it's a milestone. Mm. It's uh, multidisciplinary. Yeah. Um, and the person that was involved in the, the, the seat, the test pilot role, had other dramatic roles within with all those programs, mm. right? I mean, you mm. see um, certain types of programs where a guy can kind of silk scarf it and show up and not have to do a right. whole lot besides... Yeah take the hero shot at the end of it yeah. um, and for me the, the more flight tests I do the more uh, more I realize the reward is in building the team and building the team to operate really well in the moments that they have to and usually that's around the actual milestone but maybe mm -hmm. you know like uh, today the chick that figures out how to put that that airplane in a box right. she's having a really hard time figuring out how to put that thing in a box and we needed her to be really good today she didn't have to be good two days ago when I was moving the airplane down the country she needs to be really good today anyway it takes a tough a team of smart people that all know how to do different things but the right kind of things and that's been the most rewarding stuff that I've done in aviation mm -hmm. and that is not what you expected me to answer I apologize no, that's fine. <laughs> that was a terrible answer <laughs> terrible answer my apologies yeah so normally it's uh, Concorde, Spitfire, SR-71 yeah. those, are, those are all uh, pretty standard answers so yeah you've definitely given that the worst longest answer the longest answer <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so my favorite airplane, uh, and I'm pretty consistent on this, is the HE-162. Right. And I just love the idea. Uh, and there's a, I'm on the wrong side of the... I'm going to have to Google that one. I've got to admit. So I'm on the wrong side of the English Channel to be having this answer. But I love the idea, you know, whatever, you put the politics of the national socialism and all that aside. But like you have a people that are traumatically uh, under-resourced for engineering resources, mm -hmm. right? And at the end of the day, there's a Spitfire on the horizon. What are we going to do about yeah. it? And the HE-162 was a plywood airplane with the crudest of jet turbo jets mounted on the back, uh, built for pennies on the Spitfire dollar, right? And it, right. yet it could do 460 miles an hour or whatever right. it was. So you know, there's a Spitfire on the horizon, and we're going to stand up to power and go chase him down. Yeah. Uh, and this... Basically, it's like a long easy, right? With, right. A, with yeah. even more so because it's got a home-built motor on it. And yeah. That gets me pretty stoked, right? Again, we're talking about engineering. We're talking about building. We're talking about it's. A, it was a bugger to fly, from what I tell. <laughs> right here, uh, it's made of plywood and it's got a jet. Like that's I'm out. <laughs> well, so it's soaking the jet, the plywood in uh, kerosene. They had all kinds of problems with fire. Oh, it had a really nasty uh, uh, Dutch roll uh, lateral directional mode where it would depart. Yeah. Uh, wow. Uh, lateral axis. Uh, it's uh, that, that's one that gets me excited. It was a little quicker than the last answer. How'd I do? Is that better? Yeah, that was great. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> well, listen, I've I've taken up more than enough of your time. Sorry um, to ramble at you. No, not at all. It's been fascinating. So, Thank you so uh, we got much. just a couple weeks till Reno. Are you yep. gonna be at Reno? I wish I was. Well, if you find yourself uh, at Reno, it's on, uh, it's on the list. I want to get to Reno. I want to get to Oshkosh. So well, there's time. They'll, they'll sell yeah. you a ticket today to get yeah. to the U.S. So you I can think make the it. Issue, the issue for me as a U.K. resident at the uh, moment is yeah. getting into the U.S. That's a, actually so, a very good point. Um, yeah, I think as we see travel restrictions ease over the next 12 months, I guess, then yeah, that, that kind of thing will become more of a possibility. In the context of your Spitfire point from earlier, the point I was trying to make is if you find yourself at Reno, come by the Sanders Pit. Okay. Uh, so come check out their three Sea Furies, including Dreadnought, will be there to uh, uh, go after. Or well, I got to say, it's, one, it's one of my one of my favorite places year. on earth is is Mojave. So, well, uh, come yeah, to Mojave as well. Next time I'm out there, I'm going to be knocking, knocking Wait, uh, on the door. Yeah, we'll, we'll find an airplane and we'll go upside down. <laughs> we'll be like, oh, it's that English guy again, man. <laughs> no, 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 no problem. No problem. Thanks. I really appreciate the effort. Yeah, uh, it's a very warm welcome Thank from you. everybody. So, here. I guess you're traveling back to the USA. 
tomorrow? I just bought my ticket moments before I saw wow. you. I got my two booger sticks for my COVID test this yeah, morning. Lucky uh, you. <laughs> and uh, I haven't got the results yet, but hopefully I'm clean because yeah. I spent all the money on a plane ticket. And wow. We'll go home. So I'm hoping back, to take back the to LAX. Or? Yeah, I'm hoping to take the boys uh, uh, camping uh, in the airplane this this weekend. So Fantastic! I'm pretty excited about it. I've been having dreams about it. So yeah, I bet. Yeah, you must really miss them. Yeah, it'll be fun. Cool. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. And special thanks to Nick Codling for putting that together for us. And uh, he done a really good job. I will really say. good interview, wasn't it? Yeah. Actually, I was really, yeah. And if any other listeners would like to sort of essentially feel free, uh, you know, sort of, <laughs> uh, you know, t- t- <laughs> sort of grab some poor guy trying to get a get on an aeroplane, <laughs> yeah. uh, then then do feel free. But I mean, that was a a great interview, wasn't it, Nev? Superb. Yeah. Thanks, Nick, for doing that. It was uh, very informative and highly mm. entertaining too. I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Well absolutely. done. Well done, Nick. Yeah. Lots of love in the chat room as well, just uh, before we move on for uh, for that, Nick, as well, from uh, the guys in the chat room. Yeah, so well brilliant. done. Yeah. yeah, can't wait for the next one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, next one, hopefully. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if you want to follow in uh, Nick's footsteps in sending us in uh, some uh, feedback, you can do. And uh, the following links are what you need. So Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, search for us on Plain, uh, Plain Talking UK on there. If you want to send us uh, some audio feedback or uh, a message or picture to go on the green screen behind us here in the studio, plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six is the number to send those to if you want to send us an email uh, you can podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and also check out our website all the w's dot is where to find our website where you can find out more about us here as a team and also find our shop on there where you can get yourself one of our glorious PTUK t-shirts and you can also uh, buy yourself one of our amazing PTUK mugs which you can drink anything out of mm. including whiskey uh, but we don't <laughs> condone drinking on this show either but anyway you can also find the link to Amazon on the website as well have we changed to a different show I know it's the drinking show <laughs> uh, you can uh, find the link on there to Amazon as well click on there to do your shopping won't cost you a penny but it does give us a small referral fee and uh, also uh, it just it's just good it's good, all good and you can also mm. find the links on our website to Patreon if you want to become a Patreon of the show and uh, a big thanks to all our Patrons again this month uh, you can find the links on there as well as the PayPal link as well if you want to make a one time donation we would very much uh, thank you for that as well so that is about all we have got time for this week it's been a massively packed show a massive thanks to Nev again for all his hard work uh, with the interviews that he's mm. been doing uh, for the show as well as Nick as well for that one we just show uh, show on the on the show this week and uh, <laughs> a big thanks to Matt for pressing all the buttons and everything this week a big thanks to Armando uh, for his uh, awesome contribution to the show with the military this week and not forgetting as well a big thanks to John for all his hard work this week in the background doing all the pre-production show work so that's it everyone we are going to let you all get away now back to your busy lives this weekend so stay safe thanks for listening to episode 386 and make sure you join us next Friday for another thrilling show so from me Carlos here in the studio from Matt sitting next to me here and from Nev good old Nev we'll leave uh, <laughs> we'll say the last word to you Nev yeah thanks very much for joining us tonight 
great fun and superb interview content. Thanks again to Nick for teeing that up. Hope you have a great weekend, everybody, and a great week ahead. Bye for now. Bye, everyone. Bye.